millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As James starts his paternity leave. Um, and we will be without him for the foreseeable future. When was it he said last week he wanted to be back? It was by Guardians of the Galaxy, wasn't it? He wanted to be back. I think so. Yeah. Three months from now, sir. Three months without James. How will we ever survive? Well, things will be a bit quieter, won't they? The, the, quali- the, the quality will improve. The listenership will go up. Less complaints from people, yeah. yeah. My, my misogyny will go unchecked. Oh, no. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to struggle to rein you in, I think, while James is gone. Yeah. There's hardly enough with two of us. Plus, yeah. I suppose we've got Callum. Callum, you've got a, a responsibility today. You've got to stop Steve from libeling people, or, or what, libeling us, or... Uh, being misogynistic, or what's the other one you've done before? You did you? No, that was Jerry, wasn't it? Who sort of offended? Was it a gay well. person? No, we've 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 never we've never done racism. No. Everything else so we've you, done. You've at least got that. You've at least got yeah. that. Yeah, at least we can say that. That moral high ground of balance. I may have been misogynistic. I may have been homophobic, but I've never been racist. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to have some limits, haven't you? <laughs> Um, anyway, there is no no news this week, so we're going to go straight into the quiz where Callum takes on the mantle of Quizmaster in James's absence. And I think, oh, and is it currently one all between us? Two one to me, I think. I think I got one last week. It put, put me up up a point. Uh, all right, then we'll go along with that. I'm not going to listen <laughs> back. I'll be honest. Okay, so yes, Callum, take take your duties as. Which, before we start, which which television Quizmaster would you most Compare yourself to. Throw, throw your question on the spot. We've got we've got no news. We need to. We've got no news. We need to pad out a bit. Right. I could have said Michael Barrymore, but I'm less likely to kill people by accident. So. Hey, ding ding ding! That's the first libelous thing that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do people actually listen to the podcast? Yeah, a few hundred people listen to this. I don't know why. Yeah, well, Michael Barrymore's <laughs> friends one, probably. Maybe one of them might just, like, bought Mr. Michael Barrymore and then I'll wake up one morning to yeah, the, the, Netflix outside my university accommodation. It's the views of Callum Petch are not the views of the Fail Critics podcast or any of its associates. Also, very little of what I say should be taken seriously. Ever. There we go. I think legally, I, 
I'm not I'm not, you know, a lawyer or anything, but I think legally we're covered there. Anyway, let's let's do <laughs> let's do the quiz before we, we tread on any more unsafe ground. Yeah. Okay. Um in treatment, the place beyond the pines, Metallica through the never, kill your darlings, and chronicle. Who is in Chronicle and the place beyond the pines? That's a tough one. They're the only two that I recognise out of the whole, <laughs> whole bunch there. Mm. Uh, am I supposed to help lead you in a direction here? If you're not is is that the only four things they've been in? Uh, no, they have been in one of this week's films, which is why I picked them. Okay. I, I don't know the actor's name, but I know who it is. But I don't know the name of the actor. <laughs> But I know who. It, um. Oh, that's not very useful here, is it, Steve? No, it's not uh, really, is it? Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As James starts his paternity leave. Um, and we will be without him for the foreseeable future. When was it he said last week he wanted to be back? It was by Guardians of the Galaxy, wasn't it? He wanted to be back. I think so. Yeah. Three months from now, sir. Three months without James. How will we ever survive? Well, things will be a bit quieter, won't they? The, 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 <laughs> the quality will improve. The listenership will go up. Yeah. Yeah. My, my misogyny will go unchecked. Oh, no. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to struggle to rein you in, I think, while James is gone. Yeah. He's odd enough with two of us. Plus, yeah. I suppose we've got Callum. Callum, you've got a, a responsibility today. You've got to stop Steve from libeling people, or, or well, libeling us, or... Uh, being misogynistic, or what's the other one you've done before? You did you? No, that was Jerry, wasn't it? Who sort of offended? Was it a gay well. person? No, we've 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 never we've never done racism. No. Everything else so we've you, done. You've at least got that. You've at least got yeah. that. Yeah, at least we can say that. That moral high ground about I may have been misogynistic. I may have been homophobic, but I've never been racist. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to have some limits, haven't you? <laughs> Um, anyway, there is no no news this week, so we're going to go straight into the quiz where Callum takes on the mantle of Quizmaster in James's absence. And I think, oh, and is it currently one all between us? Two one to me, I think. I think I got one last week. It put, put me up up a point. Uh, all right, then we'll go along with that. I'm not going to listen <laughs> back. I'll be honest. Okay, so yes, Callum, take take your duties as. Which, before we start, which which television Quizmaster would you most Compare yourself to. Throw, throw you a question on the spot. We've got we've got no news. We need to. We've got no news. We need to pad out a bit. Right. I could have said Michael Barrymore, but I'm less likely to kill people by accident. So. Hey, ding ding ding! That's the first libelous thing that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do people actually listen to the podcast? Yeah, a few hundred people listen to this. I don't know why. 
Yeah, well, Michael yeah. Barrymore's friends. Maybe, maybe one of them might just like bore Mr. Michael Barrymore and then I'll wake up one morning to yeah, the, the, death rates outside my university accommodation. It's the views of Callum Petch are not the views of the Fail Critics podcast or any of its associates. Also, very little of what I say should be taken seriously. Ever. There we go. I think just, legally... I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a lawyer or anything, but I think legally we're covered there. Anyway, let's let's do let's do the quiz before we we tread on any more unsafe ground. Yeah. Okay. Um, in treatment, the place beyond the pines, Metallica through the never, kill your darlings and Chronicle. Who is in Chronicle and the place beyond the pines? That's a tough one. They're the only two that I recognise out of the whole, whole bunch there. Mm. Uh, am I supposed to help lead you in a direction here? If you're not getting is is that the only four things they've been in? Uh, no, they have been in one of this week's films, which is why I picked them. Okay. I, I don't know the actor's name, but I know who it is. But I don't know the name of the actor. <laughs> but I know who it is. Um. Oh. That's not very useful here, is it, Steve? No, it's not uh, really, uh, is it? But I think I've just given it away to Owen, who's now typing into yeah, Google. Yeah, yeah. Dane DeHaan, isn't it? Yes, Dane DeHaan. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Starring yeah. this week in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 as Harry Osborn. Yeah, I yes. knew it was... He was, when... in season, he was in season three of In Treatment as Jesse. He was in Chronicle as Andrew. Place Beyond the Pines as Jason. And oh, Kill Your Darlings as Lucian. And Metallica Fruit and Ever as that guy from the non-Metallica segments. And he's really been flushing his career down the toilet recently. Well, well he was good in um, uh, the place beyond the points. I really, I mean, I know a lot of people didn't like that segment, the last final third, where he plays Ryan Gosling's son. Um, I, still I, haven't seen, I still haven't seen it, but I need to because I love Blue Valentine. So yeah, well, it's yeah. It's, I mean, the first two thirds of the film are similar in tone to Blue Valentine, but I love both of those films. I think um, Derek Ciampran is a really interesting director and I, he's only made two films and I really want to see more I want to see <laughs> what else he can do yeah but um, yeah, yeah Dane DeHaan was good in that and of course he was good in Chronicle anyway yeah. Owen does that not mean you now have to um, recommend us something to watch I w- wasn't prepared so I will <laughs> have a look during one of our breaks and then I will come back that, at the end that sounds like the story of this podcast here I wasn't prepared <laughs> yeah yeah, you you have been on this podcast before, Callum, so you kind of know how it works. Yes, but yes, but things were slightly more ordered there. I'm, so Chloe and James are just crazed and all over the place. <laughs> uh, I think so. We're just falling apart, even more so than normal. Okay, yeah. I will I will think of a film to to recommend. Okay, so that brings to a close the first part of the podcast. We'll be back after a break with what we've been watching. Okay, what we've been watching then, a look at the films that we have watched over the last week or so that aren't necessarily new releases. Uh, Owen, why don't you start us off? Yeah, okay, I um, watched, uh, the film I'm going to review is actually Terence Malick's um, poetic crime drama and his debut, Badlands, starring Martin Sheen as a 20-something-year-old Jimmy Dean-inspired 
uh, I'm going to say rebel, but it's a bit he's a bit more dark than just a rebel. Um, called Kit, who goes on the run with a 15 year old teenager played by CC Spacek, and they go about murdering folk and travelling around South Dakota, and it's all very Terence Malick, as you would expect. Um, yeah, okay. First of all, I have an unusual relationship with Terence Malick films. I, the first of his I saw was um, Days of Heaven. And I wasn't particularly impressed with anything other than the visuals in that film. It didn't really do anything for me. Uh, in fact, the, the narration kind of really bugged me in that film. Uh, you know, the, just the, the constant need to voice over everything. Uh, it's stuff you're already, already seeing, and it's combined with this pretentious and pretty meaningless shit poetry that just doesn't do anything for me at all. So I didn't really get on too well with Days of Heaven. And then the second Malick film I saw was uh, To the Wonder, which was released last year, which was even worse. I just really hated that film. It was so bloody boring. So kind of on the basis of those two films, I was pretty much prepared to declare that Terence Malick just wasn't a director I was ever going to get on with. Um, If that's the kind of film that he makes and I've not really enjoyed either of them, Perhaps he's just not for me. And I've put it out on Twitter and sort of had a conversation with a few people. And I got some recommendations back from them. Um, so before uh, I make up my mind, I was, to- uh, I was told that I should try his epic uh, war film, Thin Red Line, which I was quite keen to try anyway. And uh, Badlands was the other film. Uh, but actually, I ended up watching Tree of Life next and really enjoyed that, even though I know some people don't really, but I thought that, that was really good. And I did watch The Thin Red Line, which is even better. So when Badlands finally arrived in the post from Love film, um, I had raised my expectations quite a bit because I'd enjoyed the, the last two films I'd seen. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, I'm not going to go full on, um, this is a brilliant film, like some people have claimed it to be. Uh, to be fair, though, it was very good. Um, it was really good. I, I don't even mind the fact that there was narration in this. It's kind of a bugbear of mine to a lot of other films anyway, not just Terence Malick ones, but narration, it's just most of the time it's superfluous and um, half the time in Badlands it still seemed quite superfluous. But, but there, were, there were a lot more positives than there were negatives about this film. Martin Sheen in particular was just just brilliant. He was, he was brilliant. And... Um, you know, even before it was kind of stated that he was copying James Dean, I already kind of clicked and, and got it because it's just a great impression of um, like a, a, beat, a beat youth before beat was actually a thing. You know what I mean? So the film's kind of uh, based on true events anyway, from two killers in the 50s. Um, so anything that the characters do in it, they, it shouldn't be cool because it should be quite cold and quite chilling because they're actually killing people and they're based on people who really did go around the country and kill loads of people including um well some family members and stuff like that so it's it's quite a dark film but actually it is really cool and part of that is because of how sheen plays kit he's just he's just effortlessly cool um which is strange when you watch it it's a strange feeling it's mixed emotions um but also you know sissy spedget was um really good as well um I haven't got anything more to say about that. She just kind of tootles along with, with Sheen as he goes around killing loads of people, but she was really good. But it is, basically, the film is, is as good as it is, mainly because of, of, uh, of Sheen's performance. So it was a film away from the performances. Uh, Badlands is still kind of all the things you've heard about it. Uh, probably a bit more, in fact. You know, it's, it's meditative, it's visceral, it's atmospheric. Uh, it's in many ways a beautiful film. 
But what it isn't is the perfect film that it sometimes is referred to as being. You know, some people say it's the best uh, debut film ever. I'm not so sure. It, it has a few issues, and mostly, again, around the narration and some of the dialogue too. I wasn't very keen on it. It has that really pretentious feel to it, um, but which works most of the time in this film. Works most of the time. Sometimes it, it, that pretentiousness does kind of great. But it is a very good movie, and I still maintain though that um, to the wonder is shit. I've no desire to re- ever rewatch that or Days of Heaven. Um, but out of the five films that I've seen, I think he, only, I think he only made six actually. But out of those five that I've seen, um, even though I've liked three of them, I'd say Badlands is probably the only one that I do have any intention of watching again. And I definitely kind of recommend it to anyone wondering, not, not even just people wondering where to start with Terence Malick's work. It's quite a daunting. Um, intimidating director to try and get on board with because of his reputation, you know. But actually, it is—it's just a really good film, anyway. So, Badlands, yeah, I definitely recommend that one. Okay, uh, Callum, what have you seen this week? Well, as anybody who may have followed the site over the last week, and I've seen a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 not been a good week, but um, it, I, in between them, I did see a couple of good films. I saw the Double, which was fantastic, which you've already talked about on here. I saw Noah today, which was also great, and I really want to see it again. Um, and I also saw Divergent, which I would just leave my flabbergasted review to <laughs> describe first of there. Um, no, like oh, in between all that, um, I also did see an animated film called Kumba, um, sometimes suffixed with the subtitle A Zebra's Tale. Um, it's the second animated film from South African animation company Triggerfish, um, previous of Zanzibar, or something. not Zanzibar, Zan- I can't think of the exact name, exactly that. But um, yeah, it's like it's not a good film, but much better than all of the other bad films I've seen this week. It's, it's trying, <laughs> like unlike other ones, like, uh, it's trying. It's trying to be a good film. It's got you know energy. It's got heart. It's got enthusiasm. You know. Like, it wants to be, it's, be, it's being honest to itself, like, you can tell there's a lot of love put into the film being made, it's just that love doesn't exactly hide shortcomings like poor animation, or very rote plot, or weird pacing, um, like, like, for example, like, animation is kind of stiff at the best of times, like, character designs are, like, for the species are good, you know, they're nice and distinct and that, and there's a, um, wild dog played by Steve Buscemi, a very, a rather recognisable Steve Buscemi, actually, um, you know, has this kind of, ma- has this kind of mangy quality, and a wide art, you know, wide bulging eyes and ears and that, but he's kind of, you know, like, he's clearly mangy, but he's also kind of cute at the same time, but the issue is that then, you know, individual character designs for when, you know, more than one character of a certain species are, yeah, they're not unique or individual. Like, I, I, I could not tell you which one. If you put all the zebras in the film in the line, I could tell you who Kumba is, but I couldn't tell you who his dad is, who his stepdad seems to be, his mother, none of that stuff. Um, Much like real zebras, I imagine. Yes, you could say that, except <laughs> for the fact that, in, like in a film, in a film, you need to be able to at least differentiate between yeah. characters in order to have some kind of attachment with them. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, that thing, like I get what they were trying to go for, and they even use this basis of a joke later when um, they come across a herd of animal, another herd of, of species, I can't remember, whose entire joke is that they all kind of confuse each other with one another because like, they can't tell apart who they are now, but it just kind of calls attention to the problem, and it does, you know, fix it and explain it away. 
Um, and also animation quality can like vary from frame to frame. Like there's sometimes where it's fine, and others where it's almost stop motion in places. Um, but you know, it's that jagged amount of place. And also chroma keying is very frequent and very noticeable. Um, so yeah, like the animation's kind of poor, but it's all mistakes could be fixed, you know, like if you know, they have more experience with the technology involved. Like I'm sure they'll probably make a great looking film at some point in the future. It's just at the moment it's kind of amateurish. And that kind of thing. Um, but that, uh, that kind of nutritionist also extends to the script and that, which pillages and borrows from Billy, like from pretty much every animated film, but Sonya Finding Nemo, The Lion King, there's some Fantasia in there, but Black Cauldron, um, the, oh, Madagascar, and, and The Wild, and also at one point Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the 1999 animated film with Paul McCartney music. Well, stolen Paul McCartney music. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't say there were good films about, but yeah, it's borrowing them to try and use them as a way to, you know, help boot, you know, for its script to jump off off instead of just, you know, hitting beats in most films in a way to, you know, cynically things like say, I don't know, <laughs> Escape from Planet Earth. <laughs> but like, but the problem is, it just like it, it doesn't, it does so without getting why those bits work. It only serves to show how anemic and rote and by the numbers the actual film itself is. Like, and also, it's just weirdly paced. Like, I don't mean in the sense that, you know, films of times where they drag, where, you know, bits of it seem to drag or whatever. I mean, in, I mean in the sense that nobody ever seems any, in, in any danger at all. Like, but there's an action sequence early on where um, Kumba and his traveling companions, a wildebeest called Mama V and an ostrich named, um, Rich, uh, named Bradley, voiced by Richard D. Grant, um, are surrounded by, uh, you know, wild dogs to be, you know, set upon and attempt to be eaten with. But, like, there's no energy there. There's no danger. There's no... Okay. It's just... It's kind of like... Instead of, like, being attacked by, you know, wild animals, and that, it just feels like they're being mildly annoyed by flies. <laughs> like, by fleas. It's it's weird. Like, there's no danger in there. There's no... thing. It's too gentle. It's like... Like, I, I get it's trying to be, you know, old, full of heart and that kind of thing, but you can do sincere and, you know, cheery and heartfelt and that and still have an element of, you know, danger and edge of things. Like, um, yeah, sorry, I'm going to pull this out. Like, um, Equestria Girls, my little Equestria Girls, for example. Um, but it's just, it, it, yeah, it, it creates that sense of, well, nobody's in any real danger, so it's kind of hard to fully, like, invest as to whether anything's going to happen to them. Right. Like, it, it adds as well as, so, like, you know, again, it's, there's some strong character work in there and some good moments, and it's not exactly boring or anything. It's just like it's just kind of not a very good film. What sort but of, I'm um, for trying. I was just going to say, what what age group is it aimed at? Is it? I mean, um, a really young you. person's film. It, 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 it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, it at you. Excellent. But, yeah, but also, like, also, I, I feel like, yeah, we shouldn't just give things a pass for the age groups they, you know, aimed at. And that, like, I'm pretty sure kids their age would, you know one better okay. and also like I do get where they're coming from and I do really hope they put out a good film you know in the future because there's a lot of potential there and especially since there's a lot a hell of a lot of heart there like nobody there seems to be you know everybody there seems to be doing it out of love not due to uh, not due to taking a box on a profit line or something it's just that I think they need a bit more time to work on shorts and that before we could you know fully get it you know get it right and i must be very careful what i say because for some reason one of their producers is following me on twitter now so <laughs> yeah like it pained, it pained me to have to write that review because you know again it's so earnest everybody involved there is tr- clearly trying hard it's just the thing is not very good it's yeah. 
Yeah, it's like in those inspirational sports movies that we have the, where we have the underdogs who, you know, they're not technically the best, but they've got heart and spirit in that, and you cheer them on, except here it's kind of like then that one South Park episode instead where the underdog team lose horrifically because that's kind of how this kind of thing would go. So, <laughs> Speaking yeah. of underdog sports films then, I guess, Steve, yeah. you're, you must be itching to tell us about next goal wins, but are you allowed to yet? I don't think so. I mean, I know the film, I know it's released in the UK on the 9th of May, um, and I've obviously seen it, um, and, I've, and I've done an interview with director Steve Jameson today, but as far as I know, to my current knowledge, I'm st- we're still under an embargo and can't talk about it um, in depth yet, unfortunately, um, which is a shame, but soon we'll be hearing all about that. But we'll have an interview as well, won't we? So, yes, we'll have yeah. we'll have an interview and a written review and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, soon hopefully, but I don't know <laughs> when yet. I was hoping it'd be tonight, but it's not. Yeah. Masterful segue there, by the way, Owen. Thank <laughs> you. I just thought I'd leap in there, it's just sort of um, doing Steve's job for him again. What, pro- <laughs> what promoting something we can't promote yet? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a meaningless segue, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Callum, carry on. No, I'm pretty much done there. So oh, I've seen what you can see. But you can talk about. Well, yes, I can talk about Fargo, which is the film that I've seen this week, inspired by um, the fact that Channel 4 have got the rights to show the, the television remake from America, which stars... Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman. First episode was aired this week, so I thought before I watched that, I'd best watch the film from 1996, um, the Coen Brothers film, starring William H. Macy and Steve Fusemi, among others. Uh, it is about... Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, because Callum said he hasn't seen it yet and wants to watch it before he starts watching the TV program. But it is about uh, William H. Macy's character, who... For some reason, he needs money. I don't think it's ever really disclosed why he needs the money. But to do this, he decides to kind of get in touch with two criminals to kidnap his wife to get ransom money off of his father-in-law. Um, uh, and then it's to do with with that, the, the, the two criminals who conduct the kidnapping, where things... Um, it turns into a bit of a farce and things just keep going wrong. One thing after another gets wrong. Uh, goes wrong for them um and it's about the police uh officer police chief marge gunderson played by francis mcdormand who is trying to solve the homicide one thing is is it's set in wyoming or i think it's wyoming at least um and the accent is 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 weird to say the least it sounds yeah. like it, it almost sounds like somebody they they're trying to do an accent and they're getting it wrong <laughs> if yeah, that makes it's sense. weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a kind of weird mutated Canadian accent. Yeah, I thought I thought I'd read the thing, the description wrong, whatever, and thought it was set, actually set in Canada for a minute. Yeah, and it was the accent is quite funny as well, but it also seems so nice, doesn't it? No matter what, mm, it's a nice say, touch. Yeah, no, no matter what they're saying, everything sounds nice and everything sounds friendly. Even when they're sort of having an argument or a disagreement, it all comes across in kind of a, a friendly, happy tone. Yeah. Which which is which is very odd, but it definitely adds something to the to the film. Um 
the plot itself is quite good. Like I say, without ruining it too much for for Callum, the plot is quite good. It, it's quite you know um, got many layers to it in parts. Uh, performances are very good as well from Francis McDormand, who I don't think I've seen anything else. But I think. Uh, she... movies. Yeah. <laughs> um. But she. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she got. Um. She got nominated. Oh no, she won Best Actress in a Leading Role for this film. I can't remember uh, seeing her in many other things. But anyway, yeah, she was. She was very good as the police chief, who was kind of just on the ball from the start in terms of the case, yeah. and, and, and never really took, put a foot wrong in terms of the case. But it just came across very strange with the accent again. It, you never, I was never quite convinced by her as a kind of a police chief with that accent. It just didn't sound right. But again, it added something. It didn't take anything away. Uh, Steve Buscemi and um, Peter Stormare as the, the two criminals where everything just starts going wrong for them were brilliant. Especially Steve Buscemi in, in I suppose, an earliest role for him. Yeah, early-ish, I think. Um those two are very good as kind of well I'm assuming they're friends because they work together but they're, they're both very different characters um, and Peter Stormer's character um, I can't I can't remember how do you pronounce his name Guerrero or Grim anyway it's got difficult to pronounce anyway, he's he's kind of a bit manic and, a, and you know a bit more ruthless than Steve Buscemi's character who's just a, seems to be a bit more grounded and a bit more normal um, but anyway, how much do we know? How much the the TV show is based on the film? Is it loosely based, or is it you know? A... I, I just had a look. Apparently, it's in style, atmosphere, and name only. Okay, so it's not it's not essential to watch the film before watching the TV program. Apparently not, but no. I'm gonna do so anyway. No, I think I think that's probably the best the best way to do it because one, it is an excellent film. Um, really worth watching with some great performances and a, and a really good plot. Um, but also, just in case you you know the TV program, it does happen. Yeah, the TV program. There is a chance that it could spoil the film for you should you watch it at a later date. So it's probably best to watch the the film first. Um, anyway, that was on Netflix, so that's available there as well as probably many other means. Um, <laughs> That is all for what we've been watching. Uh, up next, we've got our new release reviews, which includes Transcendence and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. New release is uh, review time, and Callum's going to kick us off with Love Punch. The Love Punch. The Love Punch. There's a V there, and he said full title, obviously. Um... Yeah, uh, Love Punch, new film from... Hang on a second while I get it. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't know the guy's name. But Joel Hopkins, that's it. You had um, no being assimilated to the failed critic's way. <laughs> just looking up at the last minute or sometimes yeah. just mid-review. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, new film from Joel Hopkins, previous of Jump Tomorrow and Last Chance Harvey, stars Emma Thompson and Pierce Brosnan as a divorced, co- as a divorced couple... Um, staring down middle age, um, Brosnan's just been dumped by, well, just been dumped or has dumped, it's kind of vague, um, his latest, essentially, trophy wife, 
um, is about is about to stare down, is about to enter retirement, and is bored out of his mind with his life. Um, Emma and Emma Thompson as Kate is saying goodbye to her daughter as she leaves college and about to face down life being you know, alone for the first time in ages and is therefore moving to internet dating. Um, the two are thrown back together when the company that Richard works for and which both of them have pensions for, you know, to pay off university student fees, mortgages, all, you know, all the stuff that, you know, you need money for just to put it in there, is liquidated of its assets by its brand new owner and leaves everybody with nothing. So the two of them uh, track down the owner to, into Paris and confront him. And when he all but twirls his evil moustache, which he doesn't have, but he might as well do here, um, saying that I can get away with this because it's completely legal. And that they conspire to get back at him by stealing a $10 million diamond from his wife-to-be. And then heist hijinks ensue. Um, do we have a clip here? Or I'm, I'm going to guess no. It's, it's not been very well promoted, quite honestly. <laughs> Um, no, I yeah, mean, I barely even heard of it until you just yeah. started talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's my thing. Like, is I have this one trailer for it before Labor Day, and then like it just kind of came out. So I was like, well, might as well go see it, seeing all the releases. Uh, but, so then I got to the cinema, and like for, for the first 20 minutes, like nothing came on screen. Hmm. Which led me to believe it was just like a hoax. <laughs> like, that, that, there was no love punch here. It was all just an elaborate scam to steal money. For, but um, then in the end, they, you know, cinema staff came in, rebooted the system because all hail our digital future. Um, and film did play on time. Um, and I'm actually really glad it is because I am surprisingly really enjoyed it. Like, it, it's it's lightweight. It is very, very, very definition of lightweight. Like, there is little depth here, little thematic resonance, and that. it's all safe and pleasant, but it's still really entertaining and funny, Pop, like, kind of because of those reasons, like, because of its lightweightness. Like, it's it's so well-meaning and joyful, that like, it's pretty much just, like, the equivalent of a 90-minute-long hug. Like, you know, the nice, warm hug without without feeling patronising. Like, it, it doesn't feel overly genteel, overly, you know, safe and marginalised, you know, overly for old people or something like that. Like, it, it's it's still, it's still, it's, it's, it's gentle, it's gentle and nice and easygoing enough to still be, you know, entertaining, like, it feeling like I'm having my intelligence insulted or whatever. Um like the jokes are easy, but they're easy in a way that clearly a lot of work's gone into crafting them to make it seem like, you know, like it's taking a little effort instead of genuinely taking no effort and just making, you know, pop culture references and that jokes are, for the most part, grounded in character work. Uh, things so that, you know, when there's a section where um, Emma Thompson, Pierce Brosnan, and also Timothy Spall and Celia Imprey um, have to want have to awkwardly stroll down a beach in scuba gear in order to, you know, go to that in order to break into the um mansion of the evil guy of the evil bad guys um wedding it. Like the joke isn't look at Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson looking like idiots paddling down to the beach in scuba gear. You wouldn't have expected that ever before, would you? Laugh It's no uh, it's 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 instead um, look at what Richard and Kate's stupid plans got them into now. Like the jokes could work from the characters instead of just instead, like this is why this is why I get away with things at Last Vegas Con, you know, when it shoves things like you know, look here's Morgan Freeman, Robert De Niro, and people you have you used to have respect for one time in Vegas being wacky. Mm. Like look, laugh here, it's not bad. But most of the time, it's you know, instead it's 
it's carried to work. So one of those a bit where Emma Thompson has to prophetically uh, go undercover at the uh, Bride to Bees party by passing herself off, a hen party at a beach by passing herself off as a very, very distant relative. Um, the jokes are not, look at Emma Thompson in that 50s bathing suit. It's instead, it's instead look at how out, it's instead, Kate's completely out of place here, clearly having a miserable time, but, you know, there's still comic timing in there. Like, it's got pacing, that kind of way. Like, it works. I mean, I do mention this is only some, like, I say most of the time here, because there are times when it does go too easy. Like, you know, it'll maybe do a fart gag or have a bit where, you know, there's, or bust out the super slow-mo and then hip-hop for ironic effects of, you know, lazy lazy ass gags um but for the most part no, it's very very enjoyable it's very funny and it's also um bold, it's also especially like this goes down well because pierce Brosnan and emma thompson are are great in this like they have fantastic chemistry with one another i mean and they use that and their very and their natural charisma as well to give proceedings a nice fast you know pacing gentle it all goes down well well like they're, they're charismatic enough actors they could probably like genuinely sleepwalk for a film role and get away with it. I mean, Pierce Brosnan did for four straight Bond films, but like, but like they, they do work. They do good work here. Like it's it's clear they know that it's not Schindler's the next Schindler's list, but they also know that's not exactly an excuse to just phone it in. So you know they can rattle off you know dialogue like that's that, that dialogue you know went like that. They you know got good flustered reactions. Good, but, they've built this nice chemistry that helps hang the film off of yeah like they're clearly having a lot of fun which in turn feeds into you having a lot of fun as well so yeah i, I really i really really like this I, I mean like i probably won't remember anything like much longer from now or anything but uh and it's not I, uh, again like, it's not flawless or anything again it's a bit too lightweight it's maybe a bit too many characters and that here and that but it's it's well done it's well paced it's nice and funny it's gentle it's, it's one. It's like an, as I put in my review, which should be up by the time um, this podcast goes up. About it's it's kind of like a nice warm piece, a nice a nice slice of trifle. You know, like you know, you only have a trifle. It's nice. It's nice. It's smooth. It's funny. It goes down nicely. It leaves you feel all nice and warm and snuggly for a while afterwards. Of course, trifle doesn't have Emma Thompson and Pierce Brosnan. So I think what I'm trying to say here is the love punch. It's the love punch is better than trifle, but I don't know here. I, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's better than it looks or and sounds. So. I think sometimes though those films they. They get a bit of stick, but you, you're right. There's something quite nice about them every so often. You know, uh, I think James quite liked About Time recently, which looks kind of similar. I quite liked um, Cool. Uh, then again, Richard Curtis also has that in it. Has that weird ability to just you know chisel straight through all cynicism yeah. to your heart, even with weird, like, even with slightly weird moments aside. Just don't just go through <laughs> them and go. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, oh god, the feels, the feels are coming up, oh god. But even like, aside from Richard Curtis, who's known for, for doing that kind of thing anyway, we, we reviewed, um, Jadu last year. And that was the same sort of thing from the same to it. It's quite a nice, easy, simple, well, well written, um, not necessarily that it's family friendly, but it's just, you know, the kind of film that you could just sit down and watch with your, your family and friends and it's, yeah, I think there's there's room for those kind of films in the world. And aside from that as well, I think Pierce Brosnan's on a little bit of a renaissance anyway, isn't he? Wasn't he in The World's End? And uh, yes, yes, he was. Long Way Down was relatively successful, I think. That's been. I, 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 I'm hoping that I'm, I was hoping that was good. Like I never got a chance to see it because it was literally yanked out of cinemas like five minutes after it came out. But um, I, I didn't bother seeing it, but I know people who it was kind of aimed at who went see it, and they said that they liked it. So I think it was kind of received well by them. 
Yeah. Than yeah. others, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, he, he was great in World's End. Yeah. But I'm just going to take a moment here to just learn World's End was amazing again, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Okay. Uh, next up, then, is a review of Transcendence, where um, Johnny Depp becomes a computer or something. Uh, here's a clip. <laughs> yeah. you, worked, you worked hard on these plots, some of these, didn't you, Steve? <laughs> what, else, what else do you possibly need to know? Well, it's, I'm going to take that as my cue here. It's, it, it's, I'm going to guess it's been not too distant future. Um, and Johnny Depp and, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the female lead. And the mind filling a blank. Going to keep stalling for time here. Oh, and have you seen this? Uh, yeah, I did see this. Cool. Who are you trying to remember the name of? Morgan Freeman uh, was Rebecca in it. Hall. Uh, Paul Bettany. That's it. There oh, we go. Rebecca Hall. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so Johnny Depp, and Johnny Depp and Rebecca Hall are, sci- are scientists, um, married scientists to one another, um, who are working in the field of trying to further technology and specifically the creation of a new and advanced AI who could quite possibly fix the world. And this does not sit well with anti-tech terror organization Rift. Who, uh, who proceed to shoot Johnny Depp's character with a radioactive bullet, which is slow, which will slowly kill him. Um, Rebecca Hall, being a woman in a science fiction movie, um, is grief-stricken about this and decides that to save him, she's going to upload his consciousness right. into an AI program. Hang on, why didn't they shoot him? Why didn't they shoot him with a normal bullet and kill him instantly? Because the bullet only grazed him, you see. I'm going to guess the guy's a bad shot and the radioactivity is supposed to be... Look, you're already, look already you're pointing out problems with this film, which we will happily get to. So, um, so the bullet being radioactive is like a plan B? Like, I'm, I'm going to guess so. Like, they don't say anything. That's good, that's good planning by the bad guys, really. Really, bad guys in films <laughs> don't often seem to be that well... You know, their plans don't seem to be that well thought out. So this time, I think, no, that's, that's quite good. Yeah, so um, yeah, so uh, Rebecca Hall tries to plans to upload Johnny Depp's consciousness into an AI system and ropes in her friend Paul Bettany, who is also a scientist. Um, Paul Bettany's playing a scientist called Paul Bettany. No, he's not no. called Paul Bettany. <laughs> right. but he's called Max. Yes. Yeah. You know that that despite it still being British, so never mind. Um. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so he. Yeah. So then they do so. Um. And. Lo and behold, it works. So Rebecca Hall is pleased because her husband continues to live, you know, after he's died. Uh, but Paul Pet- Bettany, being the man here, and therefore not having his emotions clouded by grief and womanly thoughts, is concerned when the first thing that, jo- that AI Johnny Depp asks for is more power. Can I just say, I think this is re- you're being very harsh on Rebecca oh, Hall's character. Oh, can you tell? Because uh, to have a go at the character for being grief-stricken when her husband's just been shot <laughs> and the project that they have been working on for years. Oh, no, don't worry. We'll get to why I don't feel like, why I, why I feel confident in asserting this view here. Don't, don't, don't you okay. worry. So, like, don't, like if this isn't just like, if, if it would, if this was done in any other way with any other tone, I'd be fine with it. I mean, I'm going to get some comeback and we just start talking out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 the part of the central theme for the whole thing is kind of love, isn't it? I hate the phrase, you know, what is love, but that's, that's part of what the whole, 
um, film is about. You know, um, can you uh, if if your consciousness is well, it's not even like his consciousness is transferred to a machine. It's about can that machine then replicate the feelings, and can you still feel the same thing for that? It, it, it's I mean, it, it tries to address that issue, and I, I think to sort of point out that Rebecca Hall shouldn't be grieving, or if she's grieving too much that she wants to save her dying husband. I don't think that's necessarily a fault with the plot or the film. Well, Owen, I believe you may have been giving Transcendence too much credit here in terms of what it's trying to do, because <laughs> what I instead got was pretty much an hour and 50 minutes of straight technology and science are evil and they will destroy us all! Destroy us all! Destroy us all! Destroy us all! I, I can keep doing that for two hours if you want me to here, because that's pretty much what it felt like there. It's like, I, I could understand, like, if it was being, you know, told about love and also a way about grief and a way of examining relationships and that, but the problem is that's not what the film's focus is. And it's also not, like, it could have been as well if it wasn't this whole tone of dread running through everything and all of it and everything that technology does, especially since, again, I'd like to know here, the film starts in medias rest at the end of its story, revealing that it takes place, that the end of the story will lead us to a post-apocalyptic America without the internet. So, wait to spoil everything immediately, Transcendence. Uh, which is, by the way, just a pet. It may, it's also as much a pet peeve of mine of films just not learning how to use immediate rest properly. But that's kind of like what I mean, though. It's not the the, the main theme isn't really about the um, the science. Although the science does play a huge part of it, of course. You know, um, in many ways, it's kind of similar to um, to Frankenstein of, of sorts. You know, the whole modern Prometheus and creating life from from nothing and and all that sort of thing. It's just that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Carry on. I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll wait. I'll just. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll wait to give your carefully considered counter arguments okay. to my yeah. rabbiting insanity. <laughs> here. Uh, no, like that's the thing. my issue. Like my big issue with this film here is just like it's it's the way that the film is predominantly structured around this whole sense of dread that one day this this technology will rise up and kill everybody. Uh, because AI is an abomination that must be destroyed. And I, it's not the whole evil AI concept, but, like, I'm against it. You can get a lot of good films about this kind of, you know, thing here. And let's face it, 2001 has a big sequence where, you know, it's all about a rogue AI. So, but the issue is that the film never lets, like, does this at the cost of even once allowing technology to have a single good thing about it. Like, everything, like, the very first thing AI does is, you know, go off and, you know, demand for more power in a tone of voice that sort of thing. Uh, there's a bit later on where it perfects nanotechnology and then it, and, you know, and instead of just allowing us to experience the moment where, you know, experience the moment of we can, you know, help cure diseases and lifetimes things, it just immediately goes like, it may pretty much just immediately screams, these will become evil Terminator armies by the end of the film. Um, and, like, and the thing is, that in the, so in the, it's all built this kind of, horrible like the technology is never shown in a positive light not once which in the end means you have to side with the evil tech terrorists who kidnap people kill people torture people um for, run, run about making run about making idle threats and that and also you know and for badly photoshop flies around and wear and you know they wear tattoos and leather jackets and and die and Badly blonded hair, like it, like somebody thinks somebody's cool in two thousand fucking six. But like, that's the thing. I, I can't, I can't ever want to sympathise with the 
like the, te- the Aztec course because as well they're not characters there like their entire course is their character there's nothing going on there so I can't sympathize with them and also it's such a stone age way of viewing old technology is just inherently evil that will lead to our horrible demise which again i wouldn't have much of a problem with if it wasn't for the fact that's what the film spends most of the film preaching with and everybody turns out to be exactly right and then i think the gender politics as well comes on the fact that look i can understand like you know in immediate bit ways of you know of she is too blinded by grief and the possibility to see her husband again that fine but the film also has a bit in the middle where it takes a two-year time skip which Incidentally, as well, also robs all the narrative of its sense of immediate, of like urgent pacing. So it's a bit where the rift, you know, where the rift group talks about how it's gotten away, it's dangerous, it could destroy everything, and then just two years later, and nobody's done a thing about it. But, but like, by two years later, and when you're having everybody still tell you this is evil, this is evil, you should shut it down, and you can clearly see that it's malevolent, and even and shut it down, and she still doesn't shut it down. Uh, and the whole film again just kind of treats her as this what as like the one lone stupid woman in the case in the sea of men telling her that everything like you know that this this technology will kill us all and it's bad and you should get out here now and save yourself and things and she does it's uh, it, in the end it just gives off this constant shouting of women shouldn't science because their emotions will destroy everything for everyone. I didn't get any of that at all. I mean the the lead resistance of this group is a female activist. You know, and yeah, I, I, I even noticed here in my review that you, you probably try and bring that up there, but again, I'd like to know she's not an actual character, and therefore your argument is invalid. But carry on. She, uh, 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 right, okay, let me start again. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so, so, so the issue is that because she's female, then she's the stupid one, right? She's the one who doesn't see the inevitable consequences of, of the actions, but I disagree. I don't think that's, that that's true at all. I think that, um, she is just, she is a female character, it plays on the fact that she's female, but it also, it's to do, going back to this whole, um, this love aspect of it, and um, it's as much a romantic story as it is a science fiction one, or a thriller, or, um, you know, an anti-utopian story, or anything else at all, it's this whole, she, she is grief-stricken, she's lost her husband, she wants to do whatever she wants, whatever she can to save him, part of saving him involves the the research, the technology and the science that they've been working on. Um, so I don't think the fact that she's female is the problem with the fact that she's not seen what's going to happen. She, she, the fact is that she's blinded by her love and she's overlooking um, the, the logic, you know, the whole logic versus human reasoning debate. And she's overlooking the logic because she's, she's human, she's feeling these emotions that a machine it's trying to infer cannot um, but that's just one of the little debates that it tries to, to bring up through the film. My problems didn't lie with any of that sort of thing. I think that's fine. It's handled reasonably well, for my liking. The only problem um, I had in that sense was the absolutely horrendous level of expositional dialogue that's throughout the whole film, and it's non-stop, and it's literally them speaking aloud the things that they're doing in most mm. cases. You know, reaching down to get a jar of, like, puddle water and say, it's rainwater. Well, mm. clearly, it's rainwater. We saw it <laughs> rain. That is a puddle on the floor. What else is it going to be? You know, and it's just lots of, it's just constantly throughout the film. That, that really grated on me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but it, again, you know, like I said earlier with my, my, some of my problems with uh, Badlands, where it stretches to 
quite overly pretentious dialogue, which does work sometimes, but sometimes it, it's quite annoying. In this, there's just no pretension at all in any of the dialogue. It is literally just to move the plot along. Um, people just say things to carry on. Um, this inevitable consequences, as I sort of mentioned earlier as well. Um, but yeah, the, the whole gender politics, I didn't get that at all. I didn't feel that at any point. Maybe slightly towards the moment where um, Max and um, I've forgotten her name, you know, uh, Rebecca Halls. Yeah, Evelyn. When they sort of make their breakthrough and they they have a bit of a conflict, then I thought, is this to do that? And then I just thought, no, it can't. I mean, I mean, it's literally what they're arguing about is her feelings towards Johnny Depp's character towards Will. Oh, you mean you also got that slight that that like that inference that that slight inference as to this whole mess is her fault because of possibly altering the code as well too because i got that as well and i went oh god no you better not be going down this road i can't yeah i thought mm, what's going on but no i just don't think it would i don't, it didn't feel like the kind of film that would do that i think it wanted to keep things straightforward as demonstrated with its exposition and with its dialogue it didn't want to absolute <laughs> anything it didn't want to confuse any of the, the issues although it does try to raise a few different issues you know uh, about environment um about how reliant we are as uh, a species on technology um, and, you know, are we too far gone and do we need this this stuff now? I think it tries to bring up the, those things and they are interesting concepts to to think about whilst you're trying to ignore some of that dialogue. Um, well, I, I'd, I'd say, like, I, I, I give it props for touching on these things because Lord knows we should have more, you know, big budget, weighty, yeah. realist sci-fi. But the issue is, like, is just the fact that it's a big, it, it's a, it thinks it's a big, weighty, important film where its entire thing is just, you know, bold, obvious concepts or bold, obvious, outdated concepts that anybody could talk. Like, you know when you talk to somebody who thinks of a smart person about smart stuff, you're like, say, you, you have those people who, like, read about pop who have maybe read one or two things about politics and therefore they think they can <laughs> argue into their debate about it. So then you'll start talking about them and you realise, holy crap, this guy has absolutely no idea. Transcendence is the film version of that. Like, it thinks it's something like Ghost in the Shell and really it's something like Surrogates. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and then also, just in addition to that as well, it's just really badly made. Like, oh. uh, uh, like it's it's poor, it's atrociously paced, none of its action scenes are exciting. It looks unbelievably cheap. Like, you, you I know. disagree again. I think it looked really good. Some of the it's very CGI heavy, um, and the CGI will make the film look very dated quicker than some of its concepts, perhaps. But the, I thought as a as a film, just some of the images in it looked really good, and I think part of that comes from the fact that it's directed by Wally Pfister, who is um, uh, not, you know, the, not the cinematographer on this film, however. But yeah, he was well, cinematographer for yeah. Nolan's films from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he's a very celebrated cinematographer. Um, and he passed on doing Interstellar for this. <laughs> but um, I thought some of it looked really good. I thought that they used, um, yeah. you know, the, all the things you kind of associate cinematography with, all the lighting and things like that. They used natural light a few times, which I thought looked quite nice, particularly against some of these, like, um, you know, artificial, um, yeah. you know, labs yeah. and stuff they use. Yeah, I will give you credit for this kind of thing, except for the predominant image from my mind right now are the data byte vines from near the end of the finale and how, well, that's also just down to how fucking stupid the film gets near its finale as well, but just like, and just how cheap that looks. There's also that, and then also just the fact that um, nobody is trying at all in this, and especially not Johnny Depp, who 
is it was he comatose throughout this thing? I have not seen him this sleepwalk this hard for a film in at least four years. I get it if he was doing this for the AI, you know, as a way of making it creepier, more detached, and therefore, you know, more not like um, Will, the character he plays. But he's like this before he's uploaded. Before he's even shot. He's that exact same level. He's... It's an understated performance, and I think I'd prefer him to do more films in this manner than he does, you know, the collaborations with um, Tim Burton and so on, you know. And the okay. other way that the film could have gone, it could have been worse, you know. It could have gone down the whole, like, Lord Mower Man at route, where it just turns into a completely ridiculous, stupid, boring, horrible action film after the first interesting concept is introduced. But it didn't. It, it tried to stay as, um, like I say, more like a kind of romance story, which... I understand, you know, it's not going to be um, what everyone's expecting, and, you know, it is a little bit lightweight as well, and it does, like you say, it definitely falls apart towards the end, but at the same time, I I kind of enjoyed it. I think if, if it wasn't for some of the, the, the horrible dialogue in it and the exposition, and if it wasn't for, um, like, the ending and how it, it, it kind of tailors off that way, tails off that way, I probably would have rated this a bit higher. And definitely sounds like I would have rated it higher than, uh, than Callum did anyway. <laughs> okay. Counterpoint. D- Dr. Kester. So, so what you're saying is you're trying to create a guard? Isn't it what mankind's always tried to do? Yes, this is Johnny Depp's performance and transcendence. This is what we've talked about the entire time. It's... Yeah, can I find a paycheck now, please? Yeah, thank you. When's Tim... Yeah. Can, we, can we get out of here? I'm pretty sure Tim Burton's going to be on the phone in five minutes. He might need me for something. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is just... This is an, a really atrocious film. And I also despise it so much because it has so much potential. Like, the concept of So much potential. So much you could have done. Completely wasted with astonished politics and agenda and technical kind and then just plain stupidity near the end and all, and just, you know, bad, 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 bad filmmaking. I, 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 I hated this film. A lot, as you may have been able to tell. So it's I, I, I do hope that I can't find ten worse films than Transcendence this year because otherwise that means we're going to have a really we're going to have a really crap year. I think that's your cue, Steve, to bring us on to Amazing Spider-Man Two in that case. Yes. <laughs> the next review, a final new release review for this week, is The Amazing Spider-Man Two, the follow-up to The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, starring Andrew Garfield as the title character. Yes, this film picks up where the last film left off, really, but I suppose in many ways it could have quite easily been a standalone film. Um, it didn't, yeah. didn't, there wasn't really much from the last the last film mentioned at all, really, was there? No. Did you? I can't remember. Did you like the first one at all, Steve? I thought the first one was okay. I liked it better than I liked you know, the, the, the Tobey Maguire yeah. efforts. But it wasn't it wasn't fantastic in comparison with with a lot of the the Marvel comic book films or the Nolan's Batman trilogy. But it was it was perfectly watchable. Yeah. Um, this one not so much. No, this was I didn't enjoy this one very much. I don't, I, garbage. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it, I think he's meant to be a bit of a dick anyway in the comics. When I'm not really a big comic book reader. But Spider-Man, or well, more and Peter Parker, just a massive dickhead. 
The only way of describing this, though, all his cocky little one-liners and his attitude throughout the whole thing, I just thought, dickhead. (laughs) Yeah, you could have, you could, you could have, like, done something with it. Like, I understand the quippy Peter Parker is something that's a bit more, uh, like, yeah, from the comics and that, and if you want to try and get rid of that, I applaud him for trying to do it that. But, you know, if you're going to have him say quippy things and make them funny instead of just, you know, like, yo, sparkles... That's literally the best insult you could come up with for Electro. That's literally the best thing you could... You just... You, God, I, I'd like to hear my... Like, my disappointment and my level of hatred for this film rise directly on the fact that before um, I went to go see Amazing Spider-Man 2, I stayed up until 2am the night before to watch the, um, the first Amazing Spider-Man. You know, because being a good... You know, to be a good film critic and all, and research and stuff. And the thing is, the first Amazing Spider-Man film is not a good film. But it's got potential. Like it's, it's clearly got potential, but it's, you know, hamstrung by poor pacing, a lack of resolution, wait, wasting its tra- like not going full in on its tragic villain stuff. I mean, Peter Parker be a terrible, terrible character in the fact that he's not a character. He's a cipher, but the plot just molds, the film just molds into whatever he needs to be in that particular scene. Um, and, you know, rather terrible effects. So, but, you know, I figured, meh, you know, that's two years ago. We could come back now, try again. Do something different. And they made the exact same fucking mistakes! Oh, well, they made, they made them worse. I mean, the, the fact is that, at least in the first one, you have that conflict of um, Peter's personal life and Spider-Man's life. And, you know, what... I know it's been done to death, particularly in the Raimi films, but the the responsibility that he has and, and all that sort of thing, that's kind of what I think makes Spider-Man quite an interesting character. It's that... He definitely wants to keep his personal life, his own life, and he wants to have a relationship, and he wants to be a kid, and he wants to go to school, and he wants to have a job, and all that sort of thing. In this, it's just completely wishy-washy, you know, oh, there's the relationship with Emma Stone, but then it's on again, it's off again, it's on again, it's off again. It's just like, well... Everything with Gwen Stacy in that film was the worst. Every, it was, it's awful. It's awful. Like, again, like Garfield and Stone have great chemistry. I want yes. to talk about that like that. They have great chemistry, which is, like, which is why, like, in fact, before we move on here, I should probably mention, like, that surface level-wise, the reason why this all skirts away with hundreds of millions of dollars, despite, you know, other than the fact that it's got Marvel branding and it's Spider-Man, is because, like, on the surface, it's not a particularly bad film, you know, it, you know, like its action scenes are loud and voice just enough for you know people to be excited. There's good performances from mostly everybody, and Dane DeHaan especially, putting you know great work in between yep. brushing his career down the toilet. Um, I've come to terms with the effects and you know like, and things like that. And um, you know, like it, on the surface level, that it's it's all fine. It's like everything underneath it. It's like everything boiling, bubbling it. Sending that train along is the worst decision at the worst time, it being pulled off in the worst possible way, and it is maddening. Just, the, just yeah, the, the comedy in it is just um, really naff as well. Uh, there's no hey, other hey, word. Hey guys, hey guys, guess what? His ringtone's a Spider-Man theme. Laugh. Well, laugh. you know, I don't Please mind. Laugh. I, I don't mind that so much, but I just think some of it is just very reminiscent of. Um, you know, something that Joel Schumacher would have made with the Batman films, or going back, something Richard Lester probably would have made with Superman. It's just that it's going for a, more of a comedy angle, and the comedy is is either slapstick. You know, the thing, 
the, the opening scene where he's um, you know juggling with uh, I think Matt Lamborn, one of the, the critics who he's been on here before, about critics who's been on on the podcast before. He and Rebecca for the site as well. We love Matt. He's a great fan. Hello, Matt. You're probably listening to this right now. But anyway, um, there's a scene at the beginning that he pointed out as well. Um, where he's trying to juggle these like nuclear um, devices, these, these these bottles of something or other that's dangerous apparently, whatever it is, and he's in the back of a van and stuff. And it just reminded me that whole scene of of the opening to Superman three. You know where there's all the the things bumping into each other, and you know then there's someone being blown away on roller skates and stuff like that. It's just the whole slapsticky, not very funny. It's actually a bit cringeworthy. Okay, can you please stop now? That sort of comedy and. Even some of the stuff around um, Electro, um, you know, oh Jamie Foxx's oh character. God. I didn't like the way they did that at all. Um, no, no, not. You, you have a great, you have a fantastic line of thought here. Like, you know, think a tragic villain thing, you know, yeah. thing of, you know, he's a man, he's, he's a man, he's alone. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. he's a bit emotionally unstable and that, but, you know, also, but then, you know, then he finds a reason to live because Spider-Man saves him and gives him the Spider-Man speech. You could do amazing stuff with this. And then it plays it all for comedy. All of it, and all I could—you're you're supposed to laugh at it because he's a loner, because he can't stand up for himself, because he's a wet dog, because everybody is cruel and addicted. You're supposed to laugh because he's that much of a wet dog, and just—I—and people did laugh. People did laugh. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got a problem with it as in so much as that they are trying to play it for laughs. You know, I haven't got in most respects that is what Spider-Man's about. You know, when you make it too dark and too tragic, and then that's when it suffers. Although there are some good. Um, tragic Spider-Man. I'm, I'm not going to go into any spoiler territory. I'm just going to stop that. There, there are some good storylines that have been written about Spider-Man that have tragedy as the central running theme. Um, but don't worry if anyone's listening to this and they do read Spider-Man comics. I'm not. I'm, the film not is nothing to... like One More Day. It's not One More Day. Don't just forget. It's not One More Day. <laughs> You're safe. It's not an ad- adaptation of that. Okay. But the. Um, uh, the whole stuff with uh, Electro just like it reminded me of his transformation scene was just a bit like you know um, Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. <laughs> it's that level of um, this is really just quite stupid. Do they not see what they're doing? Is, is are they actually going to go through with this? And the whole um, I would have been fine the accident again if the whole proceedings up to it hadn't been played. You know, it was a comedy. You know, it's meant to be a comedy because they put light hearted Johnny music in the background when Kate you, you shouldn't be taking any of it seriously. But yeah, I mean, waka, waka, waka. It, it, it tries to um, to be a comedy, and that, like I say, I haven't got any problem with that. Spider Man is supposed to be fun. That is that is kind of how it's written to be. It's supposed to be fun. Um, and it goes for that like cartoonish angle quite early on, and it never tries to veer from that. It is meant to be. The, I mean, have you seen things like um, Spectacular Spider-Man or the Spider-Man cartoon from the '90s, which I used to really love? The, it, it's trying to be more like that than it was the um, the Raimi films, you know, with Tobey Maguire, which were a bit more serious and they were very boring. Um, but at least they had heart. The yeah. Well, perhaps not Spider-Man three, but the the other two. Yeah, not that. <laughs> um, but it, it it just it doesn't get it. It doesn't do it at all. Um, and any time it does attempt humour, it is like I say, it's just very cringeworthy. Plus, don't forget as well, like it has these things for you know um, tragic villains, which it also pulls off with um, Harry Osborn, you know, played by um, Dane DeHaan here. It has it, but then it never commits to it. Like it never does. It it always just makes them like in the eleventh hour, it just turns them straight evil. Like 
like you know, like Electro has you know his emotional arc concludes a bit like at, at the hour mark. Yeah. Um, but then, like, like, but because his emotional arc's done, and we're only an hour away through the film, it's like, well, now he's going to be evil because he's evil. I'm going to do evil things because I'm an evil guy, and evil is in my nature. And just, <laughs> just, just stop, just stop. Um, Steve, and, you, you've not said anything for a while. What, what did you actually think of it then? It was just a bit dull, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I thought probably the the best bit was um, Harry Osborn, and that's you know he wasn't great by any means, but he was good. Um, he was good until Green Goblin turned up, I think. Yeah. Spoilers? Oh, oh no, wait, no, ne- never mind. They revealed they spoiled that in all the trailers and others. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Well, I, did, I didn't actually refer to him as Green Goblin then. I tried to be sneaky, <laughs> and then the big klaxon went off. Um, but no, yeah. every, every, everything. This team take too long to actually get to any Spider-Man bits, and all been too. I know, I know he's got a girlfriend. I don't need to know anything more about that, so don't bother. Yeah. You know, but you you need to spend about twenty minutes on that for the whole film. He's got a girlfriend. It's a bit difficult, but you know, and her dad died in the last film, and that's a bit of a problem. It's just it's just the worst. It is just the absolute worst, and I hate it with fiery passion. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I I didn't hate it. I think it'd be unfair to say I hated it. Um, I just think that as a this is also going to sound very patronising. I think it's a kids' film, and the fact that you know no, I'm not no, trying to no say excuse. no fucking excuse. Well, I'm not trying to say you know all kids' films are bad, and I'm not going to enjoy any kids' film. That's clearly not true. Um, I think the point is it, it's appealing to a young sort of eight or nine year old audience who are going to go out and buy action figures you know they're going to want Spider-Man they're going to want Rhino with his costume and they're going to want the Green Goblin and, and all that sort of thing it's just um, actually on the point of the Rhino what a waste to have Paul Giamatti in your film and just... oh no no that's because he's going to appear in the third one because nothing was resolved in this one yeah god like, am I the kid this, I, I fucking despise serialisation in films right now because everybody seems to believe that it just means you don't have to end your film. Like, you just, like, stop things at a point and go, come back next year and we'll resolve it. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. But give us all your money all the same and you can find out. Yeah. It's like, nothing in this film... Is, there is at least a logical stopping point at, like, the two-hour mark. But the film could have... I even felt like, yeah, the film was about to stop there. Like, it wouldn't have stopped me from saying that, well, nothing exactly is resolved about, but at least there's, like a crescendo, an emotional point in that. But then it keeps going for like another five, ten minutes afterwards where then, you know, where then, you know, they have to barrel through to the end of Peter's character arc if he was actually on one to begin with, where then Harry starts off his next evil plan, not even in a way of like, I'll get you next time gadgets kind of way, just you know, kind of like he genuinely starts off his next evil plan and, and then it's just, it's there's no fucking ending here as well because nothing gets uh, resolved anywhere at And all. It, is, it is set up for the Sinister Six film, which um, I'm not looking forward to. It doesn't handle, the, it, neither this or the previous film handled the villains particularly well. No, again, well, again, because they give them these interesting backstories, and then can't. And it's like they don't believe the audience. Well, you know, it's like I think the audience won't be fully invested in their big, loud, actiony final battle if, uh, you know, like if um, they if they don't know who exactly they're like one hundred percent who they're supposed to be cheering for. And since Peter's kind of a horrible dick, uh, they just solve this by just making the bad guys evil for the sake of being evil. Because which is which is, new ones. which is similar to the you know the old Stanley and um, Steve Ditko um, 
comics, you know, from the 60s, the Spider-Man comics, where bad guys would just turn up and blow the shit out of things and proclaim themselves to be evil. You know, no, that's... I, I'd be fine with that. If it weren't for the fact, again, for the backstories come along giving them these tragic things about they just dispenses them away and just explains that one of them might hit. Oh, you know, you know all this emotion about Major Field because this guy had a bad day and turned, and got, you know, had something horrible happen. Yeah, okay, now they're just evil because transformations turn people evil. Sure, why not? You know, like you know, like with Kirk Connors and his army of and his attempted army of lizard men at the end of Amazing Spider-Man One. Mm. Oh, just... <laughs> well, maybe now the only way for for this Spider-Man reboot to be saved is for Sony to let him appear in in an Avengers film because just give him yeah give him away yeah, yeah him. just give, also, give him... Yeah. well they're not going to let that happen because the millions upon millions the billions of dollars they'll lose are there so we're, we're going to keep getting these movies because but, Sony don't want to give no, them but, the mind right back to Mars no but wouldn't it be better right because this, let's face it these two Spider-Man films haven't been great and they're probably getting reviewed as such so it's going to put people off going so wouldn't it just be better if they go right you can have him on loan and chuck him in the Avengers film for a bit, and then everyone will like him again because he's in a really good Avengers film, and then we'll have him back, and then everyone will like him again for us. Um, well, no, because the first film made uh, was the eighth biggest movie of 2012, and this one has already made $40 million and is currently sitting on a 71% score on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Yeah, I know plenty of people who who like comics who've liked the film anyway. So, I mean, it's not, it's just us three cynical, miserable kids who have not really enjoyed it. Well, I think it's all yeah, just... our mutual friend, Jackson. Yeah, um, well, yeah. I mean, it's just that I think there are enough people out there who like this sort of film. Um, they just want to see some easygoing comic book capers, you know? And that's sort of what it is. It's That's why I can't really hate it. It sort of doesn't try to be anything again, more than that. But once again, it... Yeah. Plus again, it's surface level sheen, like a, the mechanics that are making it is too good for people to notice the bad stuff going on underneath. Also, uh, quickly before we wrap up here, Owen, I just want to go back to your thing earlier when you said uh, that you know these are films aimed primarily at kids. You know, yeah. the ones who buy merchandise. I knew that. But then again, <laughs> no, no, it's not that. But then again, aren't the Marvel ones as well, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that you know that they, they too have that kind of breeziest style, but this one is trying to go for that, but. Yeah, those, yeah, those ones are still, yeah, they're well made. They're competent. They make, they make realization of their potential. They're good movies. But I don't think they're aimed at kids in the same way this is. This, um... well, not so, not well, not as blatantly as the. But also, then again, I argue this isn't really particularly aimed one hundred percent at kids either. But it's a twelve like, days. Like, in that same kind of way, like, yeah, but like when you still have the Marvel films putting out such quality products, there you think that somebody would attempt to step the game up instead of you know just riding the crop wave. But yeah, like just well, to wrap I mean, up my thoughts here, and that like I, I'm, I'm slightly regretting my view of the fact that the more I think about the Amazing Spider-Man two, the more I despise it. But also, I am still adamant you have the nugget of a fantastic franchise here. Like no matter how much both of these films have tried to bury it, there are still nuggets of like you know of an amazing film franchise, an amazing film, and huge potential in there. If it was handed to people who a cared and b were competent at what they were doing, so I am prepared to give this series. One more chance. I mean, not just because of the fact this is my professional obligation here and I have to see all of them, but like I'm going to give this one more, you know, like chance to make good on that potential. And like, if I come back in two years, because we will be back here in two years, I guarantee you, we will be back here in two years. It's already being made as we speak. Right. And this film makes the exact same mistakes again, 
and turns out an exact same film that hasn't learned anything and keeps wasting our potential, I'm going to be merciless. I'm going to tear this thing to shreds in pure, bileless, angry rage. So consider this a staying of execution. It's still a terrible film and you shouldn't go and see it, but I, I, but my patience is running out here. I think if you've got kids, they'll probably enjoy it. It's basically filling the market that Fantastic Four's vacated, you know? That's just, it's, that, that's the audience it's going for. That's the who's... film sucked as well! They did, but they were aimed at a specific group of people, weren't they? I mean, it's not like they, the Fantastic Four films were for um, nerds. You know, basically what we are as people who watch these films and enjoy them even though we're adults, you know. They're not aimed at us. It's, it's okay, yeah, I'd like to say it's, it's, it's a 12A film, but it's still primarily for a slightly younger than 12 audience, I think. That's, that's the impression I got from it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wouldn't... Again, like Transcendence, I wouldn't go quite so far into how crappy it is as, <laughs> as Callum's gone. Um, but yeah, I will say the last thing that really is annoying about this franchise um, is the length of the films. I mean, this did not t- need to be over two hours. It just didn't. No. It's, uh, like, it's like ten minutes short from the Ray 2. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, only, it's only three minutes short of the Virgin, but at least it... Well, to its credit, at least it felt short of the Virgin, so... It's a bugbear of yours as well, though, isn't it, Steve? What's that? Sorry. The length films of yeah, films films two, two hours. Yeah, they don't need to be. I mean, what's, why does this need to be over two hours long? It's a bloody film about superhero. It's not like some, <laughs> it's not like it's not like some epic masterpiece with an in-depth plot. It's a film about superheroes. We don't take twenty minutes out of him going, oh well, I love Gwen, but I can't be with her and all this bollocks. <laughs> to take twenty minutes of that out. Yeah. Oof, yeah. Just. Just. Just take your kids to go see Captain America again, folks. Or, or fairly much, sneak them into the Raid 2. Sneak them into fucking anything other than this. <laughs> they deserve better. Anyway, that's all for the new releases and almost all for the podcast this week. Just quickly before we go, uh, recommendations for uh, the week ahead. Uh, hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm going to recommend television. There's hardly anything worth watching on TV um, in the next seven days or so. Sunday afternoon, no family favourite on five, ten past two, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Um, that is the best of a really bad bunch on TV this week. Owen, what are you recommending? Uh, oh, I'm also going for a film on TV on Sunday. Um, uh, is The Artist on BBC Two at 9pm. I really like The Artist. Um, as a node to old silent romance films and all that sort of thing, I think it's just a really sweet, really funny film. Um, but also, I'm going to pick, because I won the competition earlier, didn't I? So, uh, the film that you have to watch, Steve, do you want to know? The Artist? It's not The Artist. No. It's, it's a film that's just come onto Netflix this week. It's Francis Ha. 
which is a black and white film from a couple of years. No, from yeah, last year, I think. Yeah. Um, no, about, about a dancer in New York, a young female dancer who is quite ditzy, shall we say. Seems, seems like I, I'm picking it partly because it is slightly revenge because I think you'll hate it. But also, I think it's a really good film that I just hated. It's really well made. Everything's really good about it. But I just hated absolutely everybody in it. I know James felt the same way. I, I want you to watch it. And it's only an hour and 25 minutes, so you've got no excuses this time. Fine, fine. And, okay. uh, uh, Callum, what are you telling our listeners to watch? Um, I'll recommend something from Netflix, Ben. And I will recommend recently added 9 to 5. The 1980 um, female workplace comedy starring um, Dolly Parton, the one who appears on the newsroom occasionally and says a lot of mean things to main cast and is awesome. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Okay. Um, and I think Susan's. No, not Susan. I can't remember all the names off that heart. Um, uh, but yeah, and Dabney comments about three women getting revenge on their misogynistic, um, like just d- despicable boss. Uh, uh, who's purposely holding him down? And I remember, and I watched it for my history of Hollywood cinema um, course in my I'm doing on film history right now at college and at university even. Um, and it's a really funny film. Got a lot of good things to say. And also, it's probably going to be a lot better than another Three Women Take Revenge on a horrible man film this week that's coming out this week called The Other Woman. Oh, so. God. That looks which absolutely I, terrible. Which I will have seen but, and reviewed by the time this goes up. So pray for me. Yeah. That really does um, shit. Also, people will attempt to tell you that out on Monday on DVD, American Hustle is worth buying. Those people are wrong. Just wanted to put that out there. It's worth watching, though. Maybe not buying. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you should wrap this up before me and Owen kill each other. We go into another argument, yeah. Yes, that is the end of uh, this week's Failed Critic Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's contributed, and thanks to everyone who's listened. Uh, we'll be back roughly the same time next week, or me and Owen will be at least. We're not quite sure what the lineup is uh, going forward, though. Um, James is meant to have emailed us this, but he hasn't still, has he? No. <laughs> no. no we're just playing it by ear, isn't it? That sounds fitting for this podcast. It's, so, it's almost like a blind date. Me and Steve just log in, and then someone else comes on. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Um, you, just t- you just turn up in your suits, your ties, your, candlelit, <laughs> your candles, your romantic music playing background, you just sit there and you know, hope the person who turns up isn't, you know, horrible. In personality. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so be- you're beautiful however you look, people. Yes. Anyway, that is all for this week, um, and we'll be back roughly the same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Yeah, okie dokie, I... Um... Watched uh, the film I'm going to review is actually Terence Malick's um, poetic crime drama and his debut, Badlands, starring Martin Sheen as a 20-something-year-old uh, Jimmy Dean-inspired. Uh, I'm going to say rebel, but it's a bit it's a bit more dark than just a rebel. Um, called Kit, who goes on the run with a 15-year-old teenager played by C.C. Spacek, 
and they go about murdering folk and travelling around South Dakota, and it's all very Terence Malick, as you would expect. Um, yeah, okay, first of all, I have an unusual relationship with Terence Malick films. I, the first of his I saw was um, Days of Heaven, and I wasn't particularly impressed with anything other than the visuals in that film. It didn't really do anything for me. Uh, in fact, the, the narration kind of really bugged me in that film. Uh, you know, just the, the constant need to voice over everything. Uh, it's stuff you're already, already seeing, and it's combined with this pretentious and pretty meaningless shit poetry that just doesn't do anything for me at all. So I didn't really get on too well with Days of Heaven. And then the second Malick film I saw was uh, To the Wonder, which was released last year, which was even worse. I just really hated that film. It was so bloody boring. So kind of on the basis of those two films, I was pretty much prepared to declare that Terence Malick just wasn't a director I was ever going to get on with. Um, if that's the kind of film that he makes, and I've not really enjoyed either of them, perhaps he's just not for me. And I've put it out on Twitter and sort of had a conversation with a few people. And I got some recommendations back from them. Um, so before uh, I make up my mind, I was, uh, I was told that I should try his epic uh, war film, Thin Red Line, which I was quite keen to try anyway. And uh, Badlands was the other film. Uh, but actually, I ended up watching Tree of Life next and really enjoyed that, even though I know some people don't really, but I thought that, that was really good. And I did watch The Thin Red Line, which is even better. So when Badlands finally arrived in the post from Love film, um, I had raised my expectations quite a bit because I'd enjoyed the, the last two films I'd seen. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, I'm not going to go full on, um, this is a brilliant film, like some people have claimed it to be. Uh, to be fair, though, it was very good. Um, it was really good. I, I don't even mind the fact that there was narration in this. It's kind of a bugbear of mine through a lot of other films anyway, not just Terence Malick ones, but narration, it's just most of the time it's superfluous and um, half the time in Badlands it still seemed quite superfluous. But, but there, were, there were a lot more positives than there were negatives about this film. Martin Sheen in particular was just just brilliant. He was, he was brilliant. And... Um, you know, even before it was kind of stated that he was copying James Dean, I already kind of clicked and, and got it because it's just a great impression of um, like a, a, beat, a beat youth before beat was actually a thing. You know what I mean? So the film's kind of uh, based on true events anyway, from two killers in the 50s. Um, so anything that the characters do in it, they, it shouldn't be cool because it should be quite cold and quite chilling because they're actually killing people and they're based on people who really did go around the country and kill loads of people including um well some family members and stuff like that so it's it's quite a dark film but actually it is really cool and part of that is because of how sheen plays kit he's just he's just effortlessly cool um which is strange when you watch it it's a strange feeling it's mixed emotions um but also you know sissy spedget was um really good as well um I haven't got anything more to say about that. She just kind of tootles along with, with Sheen as he goes around killing loads of people, but she was really good. But it is, basically, the film is, is as good as it is, mainly because of, of, uh, of Sheen's performance. So it was a film away from the performances. Uh, Badlands is still kind of all the things you've heard about it. Uh, probably a bit more, in fact. You know, it's, it's meditative, it's visceral, it's atmospheric. Uh, it's in many ways a beautiful film. But what it isn't is the perfect film that it sometimes is referred to as being. You know, some people say it's the best uh, debut film ever. I'm not so sure. 
it, it has a few issues, and mostly, again, around the narration and some of the dialogue, too. I wasn't very keen on it. It has that really pretentious feel to it, um, but which works most of the time in this film. works most of the time. Sometimes it, it, that pretentiousness does kind of great. But it is a very good movie. And I still maintain, though, that um, To the Wonder is shit. I've no desire to re- ever rewatch that or Days of Heaven. Um, but out of the five films that I've seen, I think he only... I think he only made six, actually. But out of those five that I've seen, um, even though I've liked three of them, I'd say Badlands is probably the only one that I do have any intention of watching again. And I definitely kind of recommend it to anyone wondering, not even just people wondering where to start with Terence Malick's work. It's quite a daunting, um, intimidating director to try and get on board with because of his reputation, you know. But actually, it's just a really good film anyway. So Badlands, yeah, I definitely recommend that one. Okay, uh, Callum, what have you seen this week? Well, as anybody who may have followed the site over the last week, and I've seen a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not been a good week. But um, it, I, in between them, I did see a couple of good films. I saw The Double, which was fantastic, which you've already talked about on here. I saw Noah today, which was also great, and I really want to see again. Um, and I also saw Divergent, which I would just leave my... Flabbergasted review to describe first to it there. Um, no, like, all, in between all that, um, I also did see an animated film called Kumba, um, sometimes suffix with the subtitle A Zebra's Tale. Um, it's the second animated film from South African animation company Triggerfish, um, previous of Zanzibar, or some, not Zanzibar, Zan, I can't think of the exact name exactly in that. But, um, yeah, it's like it's not a good film, but much better than all of the other bad films I've seen this week. It's at least <laughs> trying. Like unlike other ones, like, like, it's trying. It's trying to be a good film. It's got you know energy. It's got heart. It's got enthusiasm. You know, like it wants to be. It's be. It's being honest to itself. Like you can tell, there's a lot of love put into the film being made. It's just that love doesn't exactly hide shortcomings like poor animation or very rote plot or weird pacing. Um, like, like, for example, like, animation is kind of stiff at the best of times. Like, character designs are, like, for the species, are good. You know, they're nice and distinct and that. And there's a um, wild dog played by Steve Buscemi. A very, a rather recognisable Steve Buscemi, actually. Um, you know, it has this kind of, ma- it has this kind of mangy quality and a wide art, you know, wide bulging eyes and ears and that. But it's kind of, you know, like, he's clearly mangy, but he's also kind of cute at the same time. But... The issue is that then, you know, individual character designs for when, you know, more than one character of a certain species are, yeah, they're, they're not unique or individual. Like, I, I, I could not tell you which one. Like, if you put all the zebras in the film in the line, I could tell you who Kumba is, but I couldn't tell you who his dad is, who his stepdad seems to be, his mother, none of that stuff. Um, Much like real zebras, I imagine. Yes, you could say that, <laughs> except for the fact that, in, like in a film, in a film, you need to be able to at least differentiate between yeah. characters in order to have some kind of attachment with them. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, that thing, like I get what they were trying to go for, and they even use this basis of a joke later when um, they come across a herd of animal, another herd of, of species, I can't remember, whose entire joke is that they all kind of confuse each other with one another because they can't tell apart who they are now, but it just kind of calls attention to the problem, and it does, you know, fix it and explain it away. Um, and also, animation quality can, like, vary from frame to frame. Like, there's sometimes where it's fine, and others where it's almost stop-motion-y in places. Um, but, you know, it's that jagged amount of place. And also, chroma keying is very frequent and very noticeable. 
Um, so yeah, like the animation's kind of poor, but it's all mistakes could be fixed, you know, like if, you know, they have more experience with the technology involved. Like, I'm sure they'll probably make a great looking film at some point in the future. It's just at the moment, it's kind of amateurish and that kind of thing. Um, well, that, uh, that kind of amateurishness also extends to the script and that, which pillages and borrows from Billy, like from pretty much every animated film, there's Sonya Finding Nemo, The Lion King, there's some Fantasia in there, a bit of Black Cauldron, um, the, oh, Madagascar, um, and The Wild, and also at one point Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the 1999 animated film with Paul McCartney music. Well, stolen Paul McCartney music. Um, yeah, and I didn't say they were good films about it, but yeah, it's borrowing them to try and use them as a way to, you know, help boot, you know, for its script to jump off off instead of just, you know, hitting beats in most films in a way to, you know, cynically things like, say, I don't know, <laughs> Escape from Planet Earth. <laughs> but... Like, but the problem is it just, like, it, it doesn't, it does so about getting why those bits work, and it only serves to show how anemic and rote and by the numbers the actual film itself is. Like, and also, it's just weirdly paced. Like, I don't mean in the sense that, you know, films of times where they drag, well, you know, bits of it seem to drag or whatever. I mean, in, I mean in the sense that nobody ever seems any, in, in any danger at all. Like, but there's an action sequence early on where um, Kumba and his travelling companions, a wildebeest called Mama V and an ostrich named um, Rich, uh, named Bradley, voiced by Richard D. Grant, um, are surrounded by, uh, you know, wild dogs to be, you know, set upon and attempt to be eaten with. But, like, there's no energy there. There's no danger. There's no, it's just, it's kind of like, instead of, like, being attacked by, you know, wild animals and I just feels like they're being mildly annoyed by flies <laughs> like by fleas it's it's weird like there's no danger in there there's no thing it's too gentle it's like like I, I get it's trying to be you know old full of heart and that kind of thing but you can do sincere and you know cheery and heartfelt and that and still have an element of you know danger and edge things like um, yeah sorry I'm going to pull this out like um, Equestria Girls like Equestria Girls for example um, but it's just, it, it, yeah, it, it, it creates that sense of, well, nobody's in any real danger, so it's kind of hard to fully, like, invest as to whether anything's going to happen to them. Right. Uh, it adds that as well. So, like, you know, again, it's, there, there's some strong character work in there and some good moments, and it's not exactly boring or anything. It's just, like, it's just kind of not a very good film. What sort but of, I'm um, for trying. I was just going to say, what, what I... Age group is it aimed at? Is it? I mean, um, a really young you. person's film. It, it, it is. Yeah, it is you. Rated at you. Excellent. But, yeah, but also, like, also, I, I feel like, yeah, we shouldn't just give things a pass for the age groups that you know aimed at. That like, I'm pretty sure kids their age would you know want better. Okay. And also, like. I do get where they're coming from, and I do really hope they put out a good film, you know, in the future, because there's a lot of potential there, and especially since there's a lot, a hell of a lot of heart there, like, nobody there seems to be, you know, everybody there seems to be doing it out of love, not due to, uh, not due to taking a box on a profit line or something, it's just that I think they need a bit more time to work on shorts and that before we could, you know, fully get it, you know, get it right, and I must be very careful what I say, because for some reason one of their producers is following me on Twitter now, so, (laughs) yeah. Like it, pain, it pained me to have to write that review because, you know, again, it's so earnest. Everybody involved there is tr- clearly trying hard. It's just a thing is not very good. It's, yeah, it's like in those inspirational sports movies that we have the, where you have the underdogs who, you know, they're not technically the best, but they've got heart and spirit in that, and you cheer them on, except 
here it's kind of like then that one South Park episode is dead where the underdog team lose horrifically because that's kind of how this kind of thing would go. So, <laughs> Speaking yeah. of underdog sports films then, I guess, Steve, yeah. you're, you must be itching to tell us about next goal wins, but are you allowed to yet? I, I don't think so. I mean, I know the <laughs> film, I know it's released in the UK on the 9th of May um, and I've obviously seen it. Um, and I've I've done an interview with director Steve Jameson today, but as far as I know, to my current knowledge, we're still under an embargo and can't talk about it um, in depth yet, unfortunately, Um, which is a shame, but soon we'll be hearing all about that. But we'll have an interview as well, won't we? Yes, we'll have have an interview and a written review and everything. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, soon, hopefully, but I don't know when yet. I was hoping it would be tonight, but it's not. Masterful segue there, by the way, Owen. Thank <laughs> you. I just thought I'd leap in there. It's just sort of um, doing Steve's job for him again. What, pro- <laughs> what promoting something we can't promote yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a meaningless segue, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Callum, carry on. No, I'm pretty much done there, so I've seen but you can talk about. Well, yes, I can talk about Fargo, which is the film that I've seen this week, inspired by um, the fact that Channel 4 have got the rights to show the, the television remake from America, which stars Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman. First episode was aired this week, so I thought before I watched that, I'd best watch the film from 1996. Um the Coen Brothers film, starring William H. Macy and Steve Fusemi, among others. Uh, it is about... Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, because Callum said he hasn't seen it yet and wants to watch it before he starts watching the TV program. But it is about uh, William H. Macy's character, who, for some reason, he needs money. I don't think it's ever really disclosed why he needs the money. But to do this, he decides to kind of get in touch with two criminals to kidnap his wife to get ransom money off of his father-in-law. Um, uh, and then it's to do with, with that, the, the, the two criminals who conduct the kidnapping, where things, um, it turns into a bit of a farce, and things just keep going wrong. One thing after another gets wrong, uh, goes wrong for them. Um, and it's about the police uh, officer, police chief Marge Gunderson, played by Francis McDormand, who is trying to solve the homicide. One thing is, is it's set in Wyoming. I think it's Wyoming, at least. Um, and the accent is, <laughs> is is weird, to say the least. It sounds yeah. like... It, it almost sounds like somebody... They, they're they trying to do an accent, and they're getting it wrong. <laughs> if yeah, that makes it's sense. weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a kind of weird mutated canadian accent yeah i thought i thought i'd read the thing the description wrong whatever and thought it was set, actually set in canada for a minute yeah and it was the accent is quite funny as well but it also seems so nice doesn't it no matter what it's they're a nice say, touch yeah no, no matter what they're saying everything sounds nice and everything sounds friendly even when they're sort of having an argument or a disagreement it all comes across in kind of a, a friendly happy tone yeah. Which which is which is very odd, but it definitely adds something to the to the film. Um the plot itself is quite good, like I say without ruining it too much for, for Callum. The plot is quite good. It, it's quite, you know, um 
got many layers to it in parts. Uh, performances are very good as well from Francis McDormand, who I don't think I've seen anything else. But I think. Uh, she's Brian Bubba's movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, yeah. Um, but yeah, she got um, she got nominated. Oh no, she won Best Actress in a Leading Role for this film. I can't remember uh, seeing her in many other things. But anyway, yeah, she was she was very good as the police chief who was kind of just on the ball from the start in terms of the case and, and, and never really took, put a foot wrong in terms of the case. But it just came across very strange with the accent again. It you never I was never quite convinced by her as a kind of a police chief with that accent. It just didn't sound right. But again, it added something. It didn't take anything away. Uh, Steve Buscemi and um, Peter Stormer as the, the two criminals where everything just starts going wrong for them were brilliant, especially Steve Buscemi in, in I suppose, an earliest role for him. Yeah, early-ish, I think. Um, th- those two are very good as kind of... Well, I'm assuming they're friends because they work together, but they're, they're both very different characters. Mm. Um, and Peter Stormer's character... Um, can't I can't remember how you pronounce his name Guerrero or Grim. Anyway, it's got difficult to pronounce. Anyway, he's he's kind of a bit manic and a, a, you know a bit more ruthless than Steve Buscemi's character, who's just a, seems to be a bit more grounded and a bit more normal. Um, but anyway, how much do we know? How much the the TV show is based on the film? Is it loosely based or is it you know? A, I just had a look. Apparently, it's in style, atmosphere, and name only. Okay, so it's not it's not essential to watch the film before watching the TV program. Apparently not, but no. I'm going to do this anyway. No, I think I think that's probably the best the best way to do it because one, it is an excellent film, um, really worth watching, with some great performances and a, and a really good plot. Um, but also, just in case you you know. The TV program. It does happen. Yeah, the TV program. There is a chance that it could spoil the film for you should you watch it at a later date. So it's probably best to watch the the film first. Um, but anyway, that was on Netflix. So that's available there as well as probably many other memes. Um, <laughs> that is all for what we've been watching. Uh, up next, we've got our new release reviews, which includes Transcendence and The Amazing Spider-Man Two. New release is uh, review time, and Callum's going to kick us off with Love Punch. The Love Punch. The Love Punch. Yes, there's a V there, and he said full title, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Love Punch, new film from... Hang on a second while I get it. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't know the guy's name, but Joe Hopkins, that's it. You've had no uh, being assimilated to the failed critic's way. <laughs> just looking up at the last minute or sometimes yeah. just mid-review yeah uh, no, new film from Joel Hopkins previous of Jump Tomorrow and Last Chance Harvey stars Emma Thompson and Pierce Brosnan as a divorced as a divorced couple um, staring down middle age um, Brosnan's just been dumped by well just been dumped or has dumped it's kind of vague um, his latest essentially trophy wife um, is about is about to stare down the t- is about to enter retirement and is bored out of his mind with his life. Um, Emma and Emma Thompson as Kate, 
is saying goodbye to her daughter as she leaves college and about to face down life being you know, alone for the first time in ages and is therefore moving to internet dating. Um, the two are thrown back together when the company that Richard works for and which both of them have pensions for, you know, to pay off university student fees, mortgages, all, you know, all the stuff that, you know, you need money for just to put it in there, is liquidated of its assets by its brand new owner and leaves everybody with nothing. So the two of them um, track down the owner to, into Paris and confront him. And when he all but twirls his evil moustache, which he doesn't have, but he might as well do here, um, saying that I can get away with this because it's completely legal. And that they conspire to get back at him by stealing a $10 million diamond from his wife-to-be. And then heist hijinks ensue. Um, do we have a clip here? Or I'm, I'm going to guess no. It's, it's not been very well promoted, quite honestly. <laughs> Um, no, I yeah, mean I barely even heard of it until you just yeah. started talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's my thing. Right, is I have this one trailer for it before Labor Day, and then like it just kind of came out. So I was like, well, might as well go see it. Seeing all the releases, uh, but so then I got to the cinema, and like for the first twenty minutes, like nothing came on screen. Which led me to believe it was just like a hoax. <laughs> like, but that, there was no love punch here. It was all just an elaborate scam to steal money. For, but um, then in the end, they, you know, cinema staff came in, rebooted the system because all hail our digital future. Um, and film did play on time. Um, and I'm actually really glad it is because I am surprisingly really enjoyed it. Like, it, it's it's lightweight. It is very, very, very definitional lightweight. Like, there is little depth here, little thematic resonance, and that. it's all safe and pleasant, but it's still really entertaining and funny, like, kind of because of those reasons, like, because of its lightweightness. Like, it's it's so well-meaning and joyful, and that it's pretty much just, like, the equivalent of a 90-minute-long hook. Like, you know, the nice, warm hug without without feeling patronising. Like, it, it doesn't feel overly genteel, overly, you know, safe, homogenized, you know, overly for old people or something like that. Like, it, it's it's still, it's still, it's, it's, it's gentle, it's gentle and nice and easygoing enough to still be, you know, entertaining, like, it, feeling like I'm having my intelligence insulted or whatever. Um like the jokes are easy, but they're easy in a way that clearly a lot of work's gone into crafting them to make it seem like, you know, they're, like it's taking a little effort instead of genuinely taking no effort and just making, you know, pop culture references and that jokes are, for the most part, grounded in character work. Uh, so that, you know, when there's a section where um, Emma Thompson, Pierce Brosnan, and also Timothy Spall and Celia Imprey um, have to one have to awkwardly stroll down a beach in scuba gear in order to, you know, go to that in order to break into the um, mansion of the evil guy, of the evil bad guys um, wedding here. Like, the joke isn't, look at Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson looking like idiots paddling down to the beach in scuba gear. You wouldn't have expected that before, would you? Laugh! It's, uh, it's, it's, it's instead, um, look at what Richard and Kate's stupid plans got them into now. Like, the jokes could work from the characters instead of instead like this is why this is why I get away with things at Las Vegas car you know when it shoves things like you know look here's Morgan Freeman Robert De Niro and people you have you used to have respect for one time in Vegas being wacky <laughs> like look laugh here it's not bad but most of the time it's you know instead it's it's character work so when there's a bit where Emma Thompson has to pathetically uh, go undercover at the uh, bride-to-be's party by passing herself off a hen party at a beach by passing herself off as a 
very, very distant relative. Um, the jokes are not, look at Emma Thompson in that 50s bathing suit. It's instead, it's instead look at how out, it's instead, Kate's completely out of place here, clearly having a miserable time, but, you know, there's still comic timing in there. Like, it's got pacing, that kind of way. Like, it worked. I mean, I do mention this is only some, like, I say most of the time here, because there are times when it does go too easy. Like, you know, it'll maybe do a fart gag or have a bit where, you know, there's, or bust out the super slow-mo and then hip-hop for ironic effects of, you know, lazy lazy ass gags um but for the most part no, it's very very enjoyable it's very funny and it's also um bold, it's also especially like this goes well because pierce Brosnan and emma thompson are are great in this like they have fantastic chemistry with one another i mean and they use that and their very and their natural charisma as well to give proceedings a nice fast you know pacing gentle it all goes down well well like they're, they're charismatic enough actors they could probably like genuinely sleepwalk through a film role and get away with it. I mean, Pierce Brosnan did for four straight Bond films, but like, but like they, they do work. They do good work here. Like it's it's clear they know that it's not Schindler's the next Schindler's list, but they also know that's not exactly an excuse to just phone it in. So you know they can battle off you know dialogue like that's that, that dialogue you know went like that. They've you know got good flustered reactions. Good, but, they've built this nice chemistry that helps hang the film off of you know, like they're clearly having a lot of fun which in turn feeds into you having a lot of fun as well so yeah like i really i really really like this i, I mean like i probably won't remember any of it like much longer from now or anything but uh and it's not I, you know, again like, it's not flawless or anything again it's a bit too lightweight it's maybe a bit too many characters and that here and that but it's it's well done it's well paced it's nice and funny it's gentle it's, it's one. It's like an, uh, as I put in my review, which should be up by the time um, this podcast goes up. And that, it's it's kind of like a nice warm piece, a nice a nice slice of trifle. You know, like you know, you only have a trifle. It's nice. It's nice. It's smooth. It's funny. It goes down nicely. At least you feel all nice and warm and snuggly for a while afterwards. Of course, trifle doesn't have Emma Thompson and Pierce Brosnan. So I think what I'm trying to say here is the love punch. It's the love punch is better than trifle, but I don't know here. I, I enjoyed it. It's it's better than it looks or and sounds. So. I think sometimes though those films they. They get a bit of stick, but you, you're right. There's something quite nice about them every so often. You know, uh, I think James quite liked About Time recently, which looks kind of similar. I quite liked um, Cortez. And then again, Richard Curtis also has that in it, has that weird ability to just, you know, chisel straight through all cynicism yeah. to your heart, even with weird, like, even with slightly weird moments aside, just don't just go through them and go. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, oh god, the feels, the feels are coming up, oh god. But even like, aside from Richard Curtis, who's known for doing that kind of thing anyway, we, we reviewed, um, Jadu last year. And that was the same sort of thing from the same series. It's quite a nice, easy, simple, well, well written, um, not necessarily that it's family friendly, but it's just, you know, the kind of film that you could just sit down and watch with your, your family and friends and it's, yeah, I think there's there's room for those kind of films in the world. And aside from that as well, I think Pierce Brosnan's on a little bit of a renaissance, anyway, isn't he? Wasn't he in The World's End? And uh, yes, yes, he was. Long Way Down was relatively successful, I think. That's been. I, 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 I'm hoping that I'm, I was hoping that was good. Like I never got a chance to see it because it was literally yanked out of cinemas like five minutes after it came out. But um, I, I didn't bother seeing it, but I know people who it was kind of aimed at who went to see it, and they said that they liked it. So I think it was kind of received well by them. Yeah. It's them, yeah. others, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, he, he was great in World's End. 
Yeah. Right, I'm just going to take a moment here to just remember the world zone was amazing again. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that. Okay. Uh, next up then is a review of Transcendence where um, Johnny Depp becomes a computer or something. Uh, here's a clip. <laughs> Yeah. You worked you worked hard on these plot summaries, didn't you, Steve? <laughs> what else what else do you possibly need to know? Well it's I'm gonna take that as my cue here. It's it, it's I'm gonna guess it's been not too distant future. Um and Johnny Depp and uh I'm trying to remember the name of the female lead. And the mind filling a blank. Gonna keep stalling for time here. <laughs> Owen, have you seen this? Uh, yeah, I did see this. <laughs> Who are you trying to remember the name of? Morgan uh, Freeman was Rebecca in it. Hall. Uh, Paul Rebecca Bettany. Hall, that's it. There oh, we go. Rebecca Hall, yeah. right. Yeah, so uh, Johnny, Depp and, Johnny Depp and Rebecca Hall are, sci- are scientists, um, married scientists to one another, um, who are working in the field of trying to further technology and specifically the creation of a new and advanced AI who could quite possibly fix the world, and this does not sit well with anti-tech terror organisation Rift, who uh, who proceed to shoot Johnny Depp's character with a radioactive bullet, which is slow, which will slowly kill him. Um, Rebecca Hall, being a woman in a science fiction movie, um, is grief-stricken about this and decides that to save him, she's going to upload his consciousness hey. into an AI program. Hang on, why didn't they shoot, and, him, why didn't they shoot him with a normal bullet and kill him instantly? Because the bullet only grazed him, you see. I'm going to guess the guy's a bad shot and the radioactivity <laughs> is supposed to be... Look, you're already, look, already you're pointing out problems with this film, which we will happily get to. So, um, so the bullet being radioactive is like a plan B? Like, I'm, I'm going to guess so. Like, they don't say anything. That's good, that's good planning by the bad guys, really. Really... Bad guys in films don't often seem to be that well, you know, their plans don't seem to be that well thought out. So this time, I think, no, that's, that's quite good. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so uh, Rebecca Hall tries to, plans to upload Johnny Depp's consciousness into an AI system and ropes in her friend Paul Bettany, who is also a scientist. Um, Paul Bettany's playing a scientist called Paul Bettany. No, he's not no. called Paul Bettany, <laughs> right. but he's called Max. Yes. You know, that, that, despite it still being British, so never mind. Um, yeah, so he, yeah, so then they do so, um, and lo and behold, it works. So Rebecca Hall is pleased because her husband continues to live, you know, after he's died. Uh, but Paul Pet- Bettany, being the man here, and therefore not having his emotions clouded by grief and womanly thoughts, is concerned when the first thing that, jo- that AI Johnny Depp asks for is more power. Can I just say... I think this is re- you're being very harsh on Rebecca oh, Hall's character. Oh, can you character. tell? Because uh, to have a go at the character for being grief-stricken when her husband's just been shot, <laughs> and the project that they have been working on for years. Oh no, don't worry. We will, we, we, I mean, we, will, we will get to why I we'll get to why I don't feel like why I, why I feel confident in asserting this view here. Don't 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 you okay. worry. So, like don't, like this isn't just like if, if it would. If this was done in any other way, with any other tone, I'd be fine with it. I mean, I'm going to guess we'll come back and we'll just start talking out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 the part of the central theme for the whole thing is kind of love, isn't it? I hate the phrase, you know, what is love? But that's that's part of what the whole um, film is about, you know. Um, can you, uh, if, if your consciousness is 
it's not even like his consciousness is transferred to a machine. It's about can that machine then replicate the feelings and can you still feel the same thing for that? It's, I mean, it it tries to address that issue. And I I think to sort of point out that Rebecca Hall shouldn't be grieving or she's grieving too much that she wants to save her dying husband. I don't think that's necessarily a fault with the plot or the film. Well, Owen, I believe you may have been giving Transcendence too much credit here in terms of what it's trying to do, because <laughs> what I instead got was pretty much an hour and 50 minutes of straight technology and science are evil and they will destroy us all! Destroy us all! Destroy us all! Destroy us all! I, I can keep doing that for two hours if you want me to here, because that's pretty much what it felt like there. It's like, I, I could understand, like, if it was being, you know, told about love and also a way about grief and a way of examining relationships and that. But the problem is that's not what the film's focus is. And it's also not, like, it could have been as well if it wasn't this whole tone of dread running through everything and all of it and everything that technology does, especially since, again, I'd like to know here, the film starts in medias res at the end of its story, revealing that it takes place, that the end of the story will lead us to a post-apocalyptic America without the internet. So, way to spoil everything immediately, Transcendence. Uh, which is, by the way, just a pet. It's also as much a pet peeve of mine of films just not learning how to use immediate rest properly. But that's kind of like what I mean, though. It's not the the, the main theme isn't really about the um, the science. Although the science does play a huge part of it, of course. You know, um, in many ways, it's kind of similar to um, to Frankenstein of, of sorts. You know, the whole modern Prometheus and creating life from from nothing and and all that sort of thing. It's just that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Carry on. I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll wait. I'll just. Keep <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll wait to give your carefully considered counter arguments okay. to my yeah. rabbiting things down here. No, like that's the thing. my issue. Like my big issue with this film here is just like it's it's the way that the film is predominantly structured around this whole sense of dread that one day this this technology will rise up and kill everybody. Uh, because AI is an abomination that must be destroyed, and I, it's not the whole evil AI concept, but like I'm against it. You can get a lot of good films about this kind of, you know, thing here. And let's face it, 2001 has a big sequence where you know it's all about a rogue AI. So, but the issue is that the film never lets, like, does this at the cost of even once allowing technology to have a single good thing about it. Like everything, like the very first thing AI does is, you know, go off and you know, demand for more power in a tone of voice that sort of thing. Uh, there's a bit later on where it perfects nanotechnology and then it, and, you know, and instead of just allowing us to experience the moment where, you know, experience the moment of we can, you know, help cure diseases and lifetimes and things like that, it just immediately goes like, it may pretty much just immediately screams, these will become evil Terminator armies by the end of the film. Um, and, like, and the thing is, that in the, so in the, it's all built this kind of, horrible like the technology is never shown in a positive light not once which in the end means you have to side with the evil tech terrorists who kidnap people kill people torture people um for, run about making run about making idle threats and that and also you know and for badly photoshop flies around and wear and you know they wear tattoos and leather jackets and and die and badly blonded hair like it like somebody thinks somebody's cool in 2006 but like that's the thing I, I can't i can't ever want to sympathize with the 
like the te- the Aztec course cause as well, they're not characters there. Like their entire course is their character. There's nothing going on there, so I can't sympathise with them. And also, it's such a Stone Age way of viewing old technology is just inherently evil that will lead to our horrible demise. Which again, I won't have much of a problem with if it wasn't for the fact that's what the film spends most of the film preaching with, and everybody turns out to be exactly right. And then I think the gender politics as well comes on the fact that. Look, I can understand, like, you know, in the immediate ways of, you know, of she is too blinded by grief and the possibility to see her husband again. That fine. But the film also has a bit in the middle where it takes a two-year time skip, which incidentally as well also robs all the narrative of its sense of, immediate, of like, urgent pacing. So it's a bit where the Rift, you know, where the Rift group talks about how it's gotten away, it's dangerous, it could destroy everything, and then just two years later, and nobody's done a thing about it. But, but like, by like two years later, and when you're having everybody still tell you this is evil, this is evil, you should shut it down, and you can clearly see that it's malevolent and even and shut it down, and she still doesn't shut it down. Uh, and the whole film again just kind of treats her as this what as like the one lone stupid woman in the case in the sea of men telling her that everything like you know that this this technology will kill us all and it's bad and you should get out of here now and save yourself and things. And she does. It's, in the end, it just gives off this constant shouting of women shouldn't science because their emotions will destroy everything for everyone. I didn't get any of that at all. I mean, the, the lead resistance of this group is a female activist, you know. And I, I, I even noticed here in my review that you, you probably try and bring that up there. But again, I'd like to know she's not an actual character and therefore your argument is invalid. But carry on. She. Uh, 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 right, OK, let me start again. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, okay, so, so so the issue is that because she's female, then she's the stupid one, right? She's the one who doesn't see the inevitable consequences of, of the actions, but I disagree. I don't think that's that that's true at all. I think that um, she is just, like, she is a female character, it plays on the fact that she's female, but it also, it's to do, going back to this whole, um, this love aspect of it, and um, it's as much a romantic story as it is a science fiction one or a thriller or um, you know an anti-utopian story or anything else at all it's this whole she, she is grief stricken she's lost her husband she wants to do whatever she wants whatever she can to save him part of saving him involves the the research the technology and the science that they've been working on um, so I don't think the fact that she's female is the problem with the fact that she's not seen what's going to happen she, she the fact is that she's blinded by her love and she's overlooking um the, the logic you know the whole logic versus human reasoning debate and she's overlooking the logic because she's she's human she's feeling these emotions that a machine it's trying to infer cannot um but that's just one of the little debates that it tries to to bring up through the film my problems didn't lie with any of that sort of thing i think that's fine it's handled reasonably well for my liking the only problem um, I had in that sense was the absolutely horrendous level of expositional dialogue that's throughout the whole film, and it's non-stop, and it's literally them speaking aloud the things that they're doing in most mm. cases. You know, reaching down to get a jar of, like, puddle water and say, it's rainwater. Well, mm. clearly, it's rainwater. We saw it <laughs> rain. That is a puddle on the floor. What else is it going to be? You know, and it's just lots of, just constantly throughout the film. That that really grated on me quite a bit. Um, but it, again, you know, like I said earlier with my, my, some of my problems with uh, Badlands, where it stretches to 
quite overly pretentious dialogue, which does work sometimes, but sometimes it, it's quite annoying. In this, there's just no pretension at all in any of the dialogue. It is literally just to move the plot along. Um, people just say things to carry on. Um, this inevitable consequences, as I sort of mentioned earlier as well. Um, but yeah, the, the whole gender politics, I didn't get that at all. I didn't feel that at any point. Maybe slightly towards the moment where um, Max and... Um, I've forgotten her name, you know, uh, Rebecca Halls. Yeah, Evelyn. When they sort of make their breakthrough and they they have a bit of a conflict, then I thought, is this to do that? And then I just thought, no, it can't. I mean, I mean, it's literally what they're arguing about is her feelings towards Johnny Depp's character, towards Will. Oh, you mean you also got that slight that that like that inference that that slight inference as to this whole mess is her fault because of possibly altering the code as well too because i got that as well and i went oh god no you better not be going down this road i can't yeah i thought mm, what's going on but no i just don't think it would i don't, it didn't feel like the kind of film that would do that i think it wanted to keep things straightforward as demonstrated with its exposition and with its dialogue it didn't want to absolute <laughs> anything it didn't want to confuse any of the, the issues although it does try to raise a few different issues you know uh, about environment um about how reliant we are as uh, a species on technology, um, and you know, are we too far gone? And do we need this this stuff now? I think it tries to bring up the, those things, and they are interesting concepts to to think about whilst you're trying to ignore some of that dialogue. Um, well, I, I'd, I'd say, like, I, I, I give it props for touching on these things because Lord knows we should have more, you know, big budget, weighty, yeah. realist sci-fi. But the issue is, like, is just the fact that it's a big, it, it's a, it thinks it's a big, weighty, important film where its entire thing is just, you know, bold, obvious concepts or bold, obvious, outdated concepts that anybody could talk. Like, you know when you talk to somebody who thinks of a smart person about smart stuff, you're like, say, you, you have those people who, like, read about pop who have maybe read one or two things about politics and therefore they think they can <laughs> argue into their paper. So then you'll start talking about them and you realize, holy crap, this guy has absolutely no idea. Transcendence is the film version of that. Like, it thinks it's something like Ghost in the Shell and really it's something like surrogates. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then also, just in addition to that as well, it's just really badly made. Like, Oh. Uh, like it's it's poor, it's atrociously paced. None of its action scenes are exciting. It looks unbelievably cheap. Like, you, yeah. I disagree again. I think it looked really good. Some of the seat, it, it's very CGI heavy, um, and the CGI will make the film look very dated quicker than some of its concepts, perhaps. But the, I thought as a as a film, just some of the images in it looked really good. And I think part of that comes from the fact that it's directed by Wally Fister, who is um. Uh, not, know, the, not the cinematographer on this film, however, but yeah, he was but cinematographer he, yeah. for Nolan's films from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he's a very celebrated cinematographer. Um, and he's passed on doing Interstellar for this. <laughs> but um, I thought some of it looked really good. I thought that they used, um, yeah. you know, the, all the things you kind of associate cinematography with, all the lighting and things like that. They used natural light a few times, which I thought looked quite nice, particularly against some of these, like... Um, you know, artificial, um, yes. you know, lab yeah. stuff they use. Yeah, no. I, thought... I, I, yeah no, I will I give you a credit for this kind of thing, except for the predominant image from my mind right now are the data bite vines from near the end of the finale and how, well, that's also just down to how fucking stupid the film gets near its finale as well, but just like, and just how cheap that looks. There's also that, and then also just the fact that um, nobody is trying at all in this, and especially not Johnny Depp, who... 
is it, was he comatose throughout this movie? I have not seen him this sleepwalk, this hard for a film in at least four years. I get it if he was doing this for the AI, you know, as a way of making it creepier, more detached, and therefore, you know, more not like um, Will, the character he plays. But he's like this before he's uploaded. Before he's even shot. He's that exact same but level. He's... Oh, right, so, so... It's an understated performance, and I think I'd prefer him to do more films in this manner than he does, you know, the collaborations with um, Tim Burton and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. And the oh, other yeah. way that the film could have gone, it could have been worse, you know. It could have gone down the whole, like, Lord Lord Mower Man at route, where it just turns into a completely ridiculous, stupid, boring, horrible action film after first interesting concept is introduced but it didn't it, it tried to stay as um like i say more like a kind of romance story which i understand you know it's not going to be um what everyone's expecting and you know it is a little bit lightweight as well and it does like you say it definitely falls apart towards the end but at the same time i i kind of enjoyed it i think if, if it wasn't for some of the, the, the horrible dialogue in it and the exposition, and if it wasn't for, um, like, the ending and how it, it, it kind of tailors off that way, tails off that way, I probably would have rated this a bit higher. And definitely sounds like I would have rated it higher than, uh, than Callum did anyway. <laughs> okay, counterpoint. D- Dr. Kester, so, so what you're saying is you're trying to create a guard? Uh, uh, I don't know. Isn't, isn't it what mankind's always tried to do? Uh, yes, this is Johnny Depp's performance and transcendence. This is what he's acting at the entire time. It's, yeah, can I find a paycheck now, please? Yeah, thank you. When's Tim, yeah. can, can, we, can we get out of here? I'm pretty sure Tim Burton's going to be on the phone in five minutes. He might need me for something. Yeah, no, this is this is just this is an, a really atrocious film. And I also despise it so much because it has so much potential. Like, the concept of that, so much potential, so much you could have done. Completely wasted with... Astonished politics and agenda and technological kind, and then just plain stupidity near the end, and all, and just you know bad, 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 bad filmmaking. I I, I, I hated this film a lot, as you may have been able to tell. So it's I, I do hope that I can't find ten worse films than Transcendence this year, because otherwise that means we're gonna have a really we're gonna have a really crap year. I think that's your cue, Steve, to bring us on to Amazing Spider-Man Two. In that case, yeah. <laughs> Next review and final new release review for this week is The Amazing Spider-Man Two, the follow-up to The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, starring Andrew Garfield as the title character. Yes, this film picks up where the last film left off, really, but I suppose in many ways it could have quite easily been a standalone film. Um, it didn't, yeah. didn't, there wasn't really much from the last the last film mentioned at all, really, was there? No. Did you? I can't remember. Did you like the first one at all, Steve? I thought the first one was okay. I liked it better than I liked you know, the, the, the Tobey Maguire yeah. efforts, but it wasn't it wasn't fantastic in comparison with with a lot of the the Marvel comic book films or the Nolan's Batman trilogy, but it was it was perfectly watchable. Yeah. Um, this one, not so much. No, this was... I didn't enjoy this one very much. I don't, I, garbage! I don't know... I don't know why. I, th- I, think it, I think he's meant to be a bit of a dick anyway in the comics, when I'm not really a big comic book reader. But <laughs> Spider-Man, or well, more... And, and Peter Parker, just a massive dickhead. 
The only way to describe him is all his cocky little one-liners and his attitude throughout the whole thing. I just thought, dickhead. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could, you could like done something with it. Like, I understand the quippy Peter Parker is something that's a bit more uh, like, yeah, from the comics and that. And if you want to try and get over that. I applaud him for trying to do it, Matt. But, you know, if you're going to have him say quippy things and make them funny instead of just, you know, off, like, yo, sparkles, that's literally the best insult you could come up with for Electro. That's literally the best thing you could... You just... You, God, I, I'd like to hear my... Like, my disappointment and my level of hatred for this film rise directly on the fact that before um, I went to go see Amazing Spider-Man 2, I stayed until 2am the night before to watch the, um, the first Amazing Spider-Man. You know, because being a good, you know, to be a good film critic and all, and research and stuff. And the thing is, the first Amazing Spider-Man film is not a good film, but it's got potential. Like, it's, it's clearly got potential, but it's, you know, hamstrung by poor pacing, a lack of resolution, wasting its, tra- like, not going full in on its tragic villain stuff. I mean, Peter Parker be a terrible, terrible character. In the fact that he's not a character, he's a cipher, but the plot just molds, the film just molds into whatever he needs to be in that particular scene. Um, and, you know, rather terrible effects. So, but, you know, I figured, yeah, you know, that's two years ago, we could come back now, try again, do something different. And they made the exact same fucking mistakes! All well, they made, they made them worse. I mean, the, the fact is that, at least in the first one, you have that conflict of um, Peter's personal life and Spider-Man's life. And, you know, what, I know it's been done to death, particularly in the Raimi films, but the the responsibility that he has and, and all that sort of thing, that's kind of what I think makes Spider-Man quite an interesting character, is that he definitely wants to keep his personal life, his own life, and he wants to have a relationship, and he wants to be a kid, and he wants to go to school, and he wants to have a job, and all that sort of thing. In this, it's just completely... Pfft, wishy-washy, you know, oh, there's the relationship with Emma Stone, but then it's on again, it's off again, it's on again, it's off again. It's just like, well... Everything with Gwen Stacy in that film was the worst. Everything, it was, it's awful. It's awful. Like, again, like, Garfield and Stone have great chemistry. I want yes. to talk about that like that. They have great chemistry, which is, like, which is why, like, in fact, before we move on here, I should probably mention, like, that surface level-wise, the reason why this will skirt away with hundreds of millions of dollars, despite, you know, other than the fact that it's got Marvel branding and it's Spider-Man, is because, like, on the surface, it's not a particularly bad film. You know, it, you know, its action scenes are loud and boisterous enough for, you know, people to be excited. There's good performances from mostly everybody, and Dane DeHaan especially, putting, you know, great work in between, yep. pushing his career down the toilet. Um, I've come to terms with the effects and, uh, you know, like, and things like that. And, um, you know, like, it, on the surface level, Matt, it's, it's all fine. It's uh, everything underneath it. It's like everything boiling, bubbling it. Sending that train along is the worst decision at the worst time. It being pulled off in the worst possible way. And it is maddening to sit through. Just, ugh. Yeah, the, the comedy in it is just... Um really naff as well uh, there's no hey, other hey, word hey guys hey guys guess what his ringtones are Spider-Man theme laugh well you know I don't Please mind I, I don't mind that so much but I just think some of it is just very reminiscent of um, you know something that Joel Schumacher would have made with the Batman films or going back something Richard Lester probably would have made with Superman it's just that it's going for a, more of a comedy angle and the comedy is it's either slapstick you know the thing 
the, the opening scene where he's um, you know juggling with uh, I think Matt Lamborn, one of the, the critics who, who's been on here before, Val critics who's been on on the podcast before. He and we've written for the site as well. We love Matt. He's a great fan. Hello, Matt. He's probably listening to this right now. But anyway, um, there's a scene at the beginning that he pointed out as well. Um, where he's trying to juggle these like nuclear um, devices, these, these these bottles of something or other that's dangerous apparently, whatever it is, and he's in the back of a van and stuff. And it just reminded me that whole scene of of the opening to Superman three. You know where there's all the the things bumping into each other, and you know then there's someone being blown away on roller skates and stuff like that. It's just the whole slapsticky, not very funny. It's actually a bit cringeworthy. Okay, can you please stop now? That sort of comedy and. Even some of the stuff around um, Electro, um, you know, oh Jamie God, Foxx's oh character. God. I didn't like the way they did that at all. Um, no, no, not. You, you have a great, you have a fantastic line of thought here. Like, you know, a, a tragic villain thing. You know, yeah. thing of, you know, he's a man. He's, he's a man. He's alone. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, alone. he's a bit emotionally unstable and that, but, you know, also, but then, you know, then he finds a reason to live because Spider-Man saves him and gives him the Spider-Man speech. You could do amazing stuff with this. And then it plays it all for comedy. All of it, and all I could—you're you're supposed to laugh at it because he's a loner, because he can't stand up for himself, because he's a wet dog, because everybody is cruel and addicted. You're supposed to laugh because he's that much of a wet dog, and just—I and people did laugh. People did laugh. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got a problem with it as in so much as that they are trying to play it for laughs. You know, I haven't got in most respects that is what spider-man's about you know when you make it too dark and too tragic and then that's when it suffers although there are some good um tragic spider-man i'm, I'm not going to go into any spoiler territory i'm just going to stop that there, there are some good storylines that have been written about spider-man that have tragedy as the central running theme. um but don't worry if anyone's listening to this and they do read spider-man comics i'm not i'm the film not it's nothing see. like one more day. It's not one more day. Don't just forget. It's not one more day. Okay. <laughs> You're safe. It's not an ad- adaptation of that. Okay. But the um, uh, the whole stuff with uh, Electro just like it reminded me of his transformation scene was just a bit like you know um, Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. <laughs> it's that level of um, this is really just quite stupid. Do they not see what they're doing? Is, is are they actually going to go through with this? And the whole um. I would have been fine with the accident, again, if the whole proceedings up to it hadn't been played, you know, as a comedy. You know it's meant to be a comedy, because they put light-hearted Johnny music in the background to indicate you, oh, you shouldn't be taking any of this seriously. But, yeah, I mean... Waka, waka, waka! It, it, it tries to um, to be a comedy. And, that, like I say, I haven't got any problem with that. Spider-Man is supposed to be fun. That is, that is kind of how it's written to be. It's supposed to be fun. Um... And it goes for that like cartoonish angle quite early on, and it never tries to veer from that. It is meant to be. The, I mean, have you seen things like um, Spectacular Spider-Man or Spider-Man cartoon from the '90s, which I used to really love? The, it, it's trying to be more like that than it was the um, the Raimi films, you know, with Tobey Maguire, which were a bit more serious and they were very boring. Um, but at least they had heart. The, yeah. Well, perhaps not Spider-Man three, but the the other two. Yeah, not that. <laughs> um, but it 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 just it doesn't get it. It doesn't do it at all. Um, and any time it does attempt humour, it is like I say, it's just very cringeworthy. Plus, don't forget as well, like it has these things for you know um, tragic villains, which it also pulls off with um, Harry Osborn. 
yeah, played by um, Dane DeHaan here. It has it, but then it never commits to it. Like it never does. It, it always just makes them like in the eleventh hour. It just turns them straight evil. Like like you know, like Electro has you know his emotional arc concludes at the, like at, at the hour mark. Yeah. Um. But then, like, but then, like, but because his emotional arc's done, and we're only an hour away through the film, it's like, well, now he's going to be evil because he's evil. I'm going to do evil things because I'm an evil guy, and evil is in my nature. And just, <laughs> just, just stop, just stop. Um, Steve, I, you, you've not said anything for a while. What what did you actually think of it then? It was just a bit dull, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, I thought probably the the best bit was um, Harry Osborne, and mm. that's you know he wasn't great by any means, but he was good. Um, he was good until Green Goblin turned up. I think. Yeah. Spoilers! Oh, oh, no, wait, no, never mind. They've revealed, they spoiled that in all the trailers and well, Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Well, I, did, I didn't actually refer to him as Green Goblin then. I tried to be sneaky. And then the big klaxon went off. Um, but no, yeah. every, everything... It just seemed to take too long to actually get to any Spider-Man bits and all been too... I know I know he's got a girlfriend. I don't need to know anything more about that, so don't bother. Yeah. You know, but you, you need to spend about 20 minutes on that for the whole film. He's got a girlfriend. It's a bit difficult, but you know, and her dad died in the last film, and that's a bit of a problem. It's just, it's just the worst. It is just the absolute worst, and I hate it with fiery passion. Carry I, on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't hate it. I think it'd be unfair to say I hated it. Um, I just think that as a, it's, this is also going to sound very patronising. I think it's a kids' film, and. The fact that, you know, no, I'm not no, trying to no say... Excuse. No fucking excuse. Well, I'm not trying to say, you know, all kids' films are bad and I'm not going to enjoy any kids' film. That's clearly not true. Um, I think the point is it, it's appealing to a young sort of eight or nine-year-old audience who are going to go out and buy action figures. You know, they're going to want Spider-Man, they're going to want Rhino with his costume and they're going to want the Green Goblin and, and all that sort of thing. It's just... Um, actually, on the point of the Rhino... What a waste to have Paul Giamatti in your film. And just... Oh, no, no, that's because he's going to appear in the third one, because nothing was resolved in this one. Yeah. God, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I, I fucking despise serialisation in films right now, because everybody seems to believe that it just means you don't have to end your film. Like, you just, like, stop things at a point and go, come back next year and we'll resolve it. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. But give us all your money all the same and you can find out. Yeah. It's like, nothing in this film is... There is at least a logical stopping point at, like, the two-hour mark, but the film could have... I even felt like, yeah, the film was about to stop there. Like, it wouldn't have stopped me from saying that, well, nothing exactly is resolved now, but at least there's, like, a crescendo, an emotional point in that. But then it keeps going for, like, another five, ten minutes afterwards, where then, you know, where then, you know, they have to barrel through to the end of Peter's character arc, because he was actually on one to begin with, where then Harry starts off his next evil plan, not even in a way of, like, I'll get you next time, gadgets kind of way, just so kind of like he genuinely starts off his next evil plan, and, and then it's just, it's there's no fucking ending here as well, because nothing gets yeah. resolved anywhere at And all. It, is, it is set up for the Sinister Six film, which um, I'm not looking forward to. It doesn't handle, the, it, neither this or the previous film handled the villains particularly well. No, again, well, again, because they give them these interesting backstories, and then can't. And it's like they don't believe the audience. Well, you know, it's like I think the audience won't be fully invested in their big, loud, actiony final battle if, uh, you know, like if um, they if they don't know who exactly they're like one hundred percent who they're supposed to be cheering for. And since Peter's kind of a horrible dick, 
Um, they just solve this by just making the bad guys evil for the sake of being evil. Because which is, which is new ones. Which is similar to the you know the old Stanley and um, Steve Ditko um, comics you know from the sixties the Spider Man comics where bad guys would just turn up and blow the shit out of things and co- proclaim themselves to be evil you know no, that's... I, I'd be fine with that if it wasn't for again for the backstories come along giving them these tragic things about they just dispenses them away and just explains that one of them might hit. Oh, you know, all this emotion about made you feel because this guy had a bad day and turned and got, you know, had something horrible happen. Yeah, okay, now they're just evil because transformations turn people evil. Sure, why not? You know, like you know, like with Kurt Connors and his army of and his attempted army of lizard men at the end of Amazing Spider-Man One. Mm. Oh, just <laughs> well, maybe now the only way for for this Spider-Man reboot to be saved is for Sony to let him appear in in an Avengers film because just give him yeah give him away yeah <laughs> just give, also, give him yeah. well they're not going to let that happen because the millions upon millions the billions of dollars they'll lose there so we're, we're going to keep getting these movies because but, Sony don't want to give no, them but, the mind right back to Mark no but wouldn't it be better right because this, let's face it these two Spider-Man films haven't been great and they're probably getting reviewed as such so it's going to put people off going so wouldn't it just be better if they go right you can have him on loan and chuck him in the Avengers film for a bit, and then everyone will like him again because he's in a really good Avengers film, and then we'll have him back, and then everyone will like him again for us. Um, well, no, because the first film made uh, was the eighth biggest movie of 2012, and this one has already made $40 million and is currently sitting on a 71% score on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Yeah, I know plenty of people who who like comics who've liked the film anyway. So I mean, it's not. It's just us three cynical, miserable kids who not really enjoyed it. Well, I think it's all yeah, just our mutual friend Jackson. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's just that I think there are enough people out there who like this sort of film. Um, they just want to see some easygoing comic book capers, you know. And that's sort of what it is. It's that's why I can't really hate it. It sort of doesn't try to be anything again, more than that. But once again. It, yeah. Plus, again, it's surface-level sheen, like and the mechanics that are making it is too good for people to notice the bad stuff going on underneath. Also, uh, quickly before we wrap up here, Owen, I just want to go back to your thing earlier when you said uh, that you know these are films aimed primarily at kids. You know, yeah. the ones who buy merchandise. I knew that. Would come but back. then again, <laughs> no, no, it's not that. But then again, aren't the Marvel ones as well, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that you know they, they too have that kind of breezyish style that this one is trying to go for, that, but. Yeah, those, yeah, those ones are still, well, yeah, they're well made. They're competent. They make, they make realization of their potential. They're good movies. But I don't think they're aimed at kids in the same way this is. This, um... yeah, well, not so, not well, not as blatantly as the. But also, then again, I argue this isn't really particularly aimed 100% at kids either. But it's a 12 Okay, that same kind of way, like, yeah, but like when you still have the Marvel films putting out such quality products, there you think that somebody would attempt to step the game up instead of you know just riding the corporate. But yeah, like just well, to wrap up my thoughts here, and that like I, I'm, I'm slightly regretting my view of the fact that the more I think about Amazing Spider-Man Two, the more I despise it. But also, I am still adamant you have the nugget of a fantastic franchise here. Like no matter how much both of these films have tried to bury it, there are still nuggets of like you know of an amazing film franchise, an amazing film, and huge potential in there. If it was handed to people who a cared and b were competent at what they were doing, so I am prepared to give this series 
one more chance. I mean, not just because of the fact this is my professional obligation here and I have to see all of them, but like I'm going to give this one more, you know, like chance to make good on that potential. And like if I come back in two years, because we will be back here in two years, I guarantee you we will be back here in two years. It's already being made as we speak. But, and this film makes the exact same mistakes again and turns out an exact same film that hasn't learned anything and keeps wasting our potential. I'm going to be merciless. I'm going to tear this thing to shreds in pure, bileless, angry rage. So consider this a staying of execution. It's still a terrible film and you shouldn't go and see it, but I, I, but my patience is running out here. I think if you've got kids, they'll probably enjoy it. It's basically filling the market that Fantastic Four's vacated, you know? It's just, it's, that, that's the audience it's going for. That's the most films sucked as well! They did, but they were aimed at a specific group of people, weren't they? I mean, it's not like they, the Fantastic Four films were for um, nerds, you know, basically what we are as people who watch these films and enjoy them even though we're adults, you know. They're not aimed at us. It's, it's okay, yes, I'd like to say it's, it's, it's a 12A film, but it's still primarily for a slightly younger than 12 audience, I think. That's, that's the impression I got from it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wouldn't... Again, like Transcendence, I wouldn't go quite so far into how crappy it is as, <laughs> as Callum's gone. Um, but yeah, I will say the last thing that really is annoying about this franchise um, is the length of the films. I mean, this did not t- need to be over two hours. It just didn't. Well, no. It's, uh, like, it's like ten minutes short from the Raid 2. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, only, it's only three minutes short than Divergent, but at least it... Well, to its credit, at least it felt short than Divergent, so... It's a bugbear of yours as well, though, isn't it, Steve? What's that? Sorry. The length films of are, yeah, films films over two, over two hours. hours. Yeah, they don't need to be. I mean, what's, why does this need to be over two hours long? It's a bloody film about superhero. It's not like some, <laughs> it's not like it's not like some epic masterpiece with an in-depth plot. It's a film about superheroes. We don't take twenty minutes out of him going, oh well, I love Gwen, but I can't be with her and all this bollocks. <laughs> to take twenty minutes of that out. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Just. Just take your kids to go see Captain America again, folks. Or, or failing that, sneak them into the Raid 2. Sneak them into fucking anything other than this. <laughs> they deserve better. Anyway, that's all for the new releases and almost all for the podcast this week. Just quickly before we go, uh, recommendations for uh, the week ahead. Uh, I'm going to recommend television. There's hardly anything worth watching on TV um, in the next seven days or so. Sunday afternoon, no family favourite on five, ten past two, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Um, that is the best of a really bad bunch on TV this week. Owen, what are you recommending? Uh, oh, I'm also going for a film on TV on Sunday. Um, uh, is The Artist on BBC Two at 9pm. I really like The Artist. Um, as a note to old silent romance films and all that sort of thing I think it's just a really sweet really funny film um, but also I'm going to pick because I won the competition earlier didn't I so uh, the film that you have to watch Steve do you want to know The Artist it's not The Artist no. it's it's a film that's just come onto Netflix this week it's Francis Ha which is a black and white film from a couple of years no from yet yeah, last year I think yeah um, no about a dancer in New York, a young female dancer who is quite ditzy, shall we say. Seems, seems like I, some... I'm picking it partly because it is slightly revenge, because I think you'll hate it, 
But also, I think it's a really good film that I just hated. It's really well made. Everything's really good about it. But I just hated absolutely everybody in it. I know James felt the same way. I, I want you to watch it. And it's only an hour and 25 minutes, so you've got no excuses this time. Fine, fine. And, okay. uh, uh, Callum, what are you telling our listeners to watch? Um, I'll recommend something from Netflix, Ben. And I will recommend recently added 9 to 5, the 1980 um, female workplace comedy starring... Um, Dolly Parton, the one who appears on the newsroom occasionally and says a lot of mean things to main cast and is awesome. <laughs> I can't remember the name. Okay. Um, and I think Susan's... No, not Susan. I can't remember all the names off that heart. Um, uh, but, you know, and Dabney comments about three women getting revenge on their misogynistic, um, like, just d- despicable boss uh, uh, who's purposely holding him down. And I, remember, and I watched it for my History of Hollywood Cinema Um course in my I'm doing on film history right now at college and at university even um, and it's a really funny film got a lot of good things to say and also it's probably going to be a lot better than another three women take revenge on a horrible man film this week that's coming out this week called the other woman oh, so God. that looks which absolutely I, terrible which i will have seen but and reviewed by the time this goes up so pray for me yeah that really does um, look shit also people will attempt to tell you but out on Monday on DVD, American Hustlers worth buying. Those people are wrong. Just wanted to put that out there. It's worth watching, though. Maybe not buying. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you should wrap this up before me and Owen kill each other. We go into another argument, yeah. Yes, that is the end of uh, this week's Failed Critic Podcast. Thanks to everyone who's contributed, and thanks to everyone who's listened. Uh, we'll be back roughly the same time next week. Or me and Owen will be at least. We're not quite sure what the lineup is uh, going forward, though. Um, James is meant to have emailed us this, but he hasn't still, has he? No. <laughs> no. no we're just playing it by ear, really. Um, so, that, that sounds fitting for this podcast. No, it's, it's almost like a blind date. Me and Steve just log in, and then someone else comes on. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Um, you, just t- you just turn up in your suits, your ties, your candlelit. <laughs> Your candles, your romantic music playing background, you just sit there and you know, hope the person who turns up isn't, you know, horrible. In personality. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so you're, that... you're beautiful however you look, people. Yes. Anyway, that is all for this week, um, and we'll be back roughly the same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman, and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics.